midnight, Ben and Steve and you. Dan and that lovely true. <laughs> Welcome, dead and lovely listeners, to the absolute greatest horror movie review podcast in all the known multiverse. Why? It's dead and lovely here with the host with the most. It is I, your best friend in all the world. It's me, Uncle Ben. And me, Hollywood Steve, I've always been the caretaker here. You've always been here. I think so. When you guys moved in, I was like, oh, hey, what's up? Yeah, I was like, oh, where have you friends? been here? Oh, yes. Roughly always? Roughly always, yeah. from the beginning. We just kind of went with it. I was like, do you want to start a show? Sure, might as well. Let's right. go to community college together <laughs> in the past. <laughs> Let's both quit religion. Done! <laughs> <laughs> you used to talk like that too. I did. Kind of the bubble voice. I, yeah, I had bubble voice. You know what it was? I think the Mormonism does that to you. Oh, really? Is that yeah, a thing? You want to join Mormonism? It's oh, yeah. all about Joseph Smith. Moroni. He brought us some gold plates. Everything's more fun when you kind of say it with that voice. So you're yeah. probably kind of enticed and you're like, well, they do all sound They really do fun. sound like they're having a blast yeah. at all times. If Maybe somebody talked out. like that, I would believe that person is having fun. No doubt. Otherwise, they would be work on their voice. Does that mean Zoe Deschanel's having fun? She's all having the a time? great time, I bet. Ooh, the and feel the, of cotton. The feel. <laughs> it always goes back to that for me it for does. some reason. It's always about those commercials. Yeah. I think that's when I realized I hated her. Wow. Yeah. Do you ever like? Because like her cotton commercial yeah. and Aaron Neville's sound so similar. It sound you know to make the Aaron Neville one, uh-huh. you actually play a recording of the Zoe Deschanel one in yeah. front of a fan. Really? Yeah, and the fan yeah. chops through the sound waves. You had a little bit of soul yeah. to it. <laughs> Face tattoos. Needs a cocoa butter. <laughs> oh, dude, the cocoa butter skit <laughs> is a 12 out of Horatio 10. Horatio Sands is hilarious, cocoa man. Cocoa butter. Mm-hmm. He's so still good. very funny. If you, He's got a podcast. He's on podcasts. He yeah. does a bunch of stuff. Still very funny. That guy... He's a winner. He was a blast, yeah. Steve, I feel like it has been a month of Sundays since we got together. It really now, has. It's been I, a long time. You know, we're a weekly show, and our listeners are yeah. like, what do you mean you're here every week? Those last couple episodes were recorded about three, three or weeks four ago. weeks ago. Yeah, because yeah, I was getting ready to go out mm-hmm. and do a run of shows, uh, playing out on the road, playing blues bass, being a real blues boy, making the daddy notes happen down there on the big guitar. Meanwhile, the other guys were there playing the small guitar, making the baby noises. You Wee! wait till your daddy Wee! gets home. Oh, I'm already down here. Do, 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 do. <laughs> that was me down there. Yeah. Playing out on the road with those guys. And then the following week is when I went out to Los Angeles Cauliflower yeah. for, the, for the NAM show, which is yeah. a big musician convention kind of thing. Kind of like what G3 is to video games, NAM yeah. is to music equipment and stuff. That's cool. You know what? It's been awesome, but it's the kind of thing where I look back and I'm like, my God, the past like eight weeks have been literally nonstop between the yeah. holidays, getting ready for these shows. Yeah, we've, we've uh, just for this show itself, yeah. I've done so much stuff in the past two months um, that seriously, just having three weeks, I thought I was going to have three weeks of relaxing. Like right, yeah. Maybe just doing something I've been pursuing for fun. Yeah. Turns out I was just working on this show again for three Yeah, exactly. Weeks. That's <laughs> exactly how it goes. <laughs> 
You know, I need a vacation for my vacation. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> yeah, we've been, uh, you know, as they say in the biz, we've been pitching a lot of tent content. Yeah, that's that true. is pitching out a lot. Yeah, because we mm-hmm. had to get our YouTube video stuff done in advance. Yeah, yeah. I had to get YouTube stuff done for my channel. Mm-hmm. My God, it has just been hellaciously busy. It was busy. fun, though. You know what's crazy is like usually this time of year, like after I, I have the holidays and after I have all the excitement of Nam and I come home. Yeah. It's the kind of thing where I usually kind of get a little bit like, oh, bummer, the the fun ride is over. Yeah. You know what I mean? This year, I'm like, fuck yeah, done. Great. You know what <laughs> I mean? Now we can get on to the rest of the stuff I have to do for the rest of eternity. Yeah, exactly, yeah. man. But, you know, it, it's stuff like uh, I've, I've really been excited about uh, working on like an EP for myself. Oh, yeah. You've been talking about A that. dang music record. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where my headspace is right now is getting all that stuff going and mm-hmm. getting more income going from my youtube channel so that will have more time to do it so yeah this this time this year mm-hmm. don't be wrong i had a blast i've had so much fun over the past few weeks i'm not saying fuck that stuff i'm glad it's right over. i'm not saying that i'm just like cool i'm happy to be home too yeah i mean you got to go out to la which made yeah. me jealous as fuck dude man. it was like i was missing it like crazy oh, because it I was bet. 20 degrees here yeah and la is never 20 degrees no ever I mean, it was perfect. Like, the whole time that we were out there, and it was like, you know, 65 or 70, no humidity, nothing but sunshine. You know, I would just walk around going, this could be my January. I would be very okay with that. Yes. Let's move to LA. Hey, somebody sign us to a contract where we have to move to LA. I will do it. I am on that in a second. Because the second you you texted me, some friends of yours wanted to do something in Koreatown, and I was like, okay, and I, I just started looking around Koreatown like places that I knew of. Yeah. And the moment I was looking at it on Google Maps, I was like, oh, that's where my apartment was. Oh, oh. that's where I used to go to the store. This used to There's be the... my playground. <laughs> that started playing in the background. Yeah. <laughs> and you I went, found Madonna out, used to be good. I found out the Golden <laughs> Pouch closed. And the Golden Pouch was a place that Emily and I loved, and I was very sad. That sounds like a male strip club where the <laughs> guys actually, come out wearing gold pouches. It was actually a, a Korean-Mexican uh, fusion place. That's where you could the get, last thing I expected. You could get, <laughs> you could get bao bun tacos. What? They were fo- oh, my God, so good. And their dumplings were amazing. But then, Everything there was so good. The waiters were all oiled-up males wearing golden pouches. Oh, yeah. 100% yeah. dicks in golden pouches. Yeah, that's where yeah. the name came from, mm-hmm. obviously. They that's the actually they built the restaurant around those guys. But listen, they've been I, there since the fifties. I go there for the food. <laughs> all right, I go there for the food. You go to Hooters for the wings. Yep. You go to Golden Pouch for the uh, bow tacos and the dicks. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Obviously. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was like seventy degrees. It was fucking perfect out there. Yeah. Had a great time. Met so many fans. Saw so many fans of the podcast. That's our, awesome. Our man, man. Josh is out there. Always good seeing that oh, cat. Yeah. Saw so many people and uh-huh. friends and other musicians and, and industry people and stuff. Hey, did you see it was that? Great. Did you see that Andy Wood out there? I seen. Him. I'm a big fan of that guy. Oh yeah, He's pretty cool. And you know what? Speaking of Andy Wood, yeah, we just had his brand new solo record, which we yeah. worked on all last year. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Debut this past Friday. It's called Junk Town. Yeah, and you can find that on Spotify and Apple Music and all that stuff. I believe we kind of tricked Andy Wood into being on our show because you were yeah. recording at his house and we needed yeah, to record exactly. a podcast. Yeah, that was exactly <laughs> what it was. That was during one of the all day recording sessions yeah. that we were doing. I did all the the engineering of the guitar recording for the record and played all the bass guitar on the album. So you guys be sure to go and check that out. 
and uh, let me know what you think about it. It's been a labor of love. It's probably the longest I've ever spent working on anything because we started oh, doing yeah. demos in January. Oh, wow. And just finished it. And it came out this year. So it's easily the longest I've spent on a project. Of course, that was, you know, amidst us being busy and touring with a million yeah. bands and stuff too. But but still, very proud of how it came out. Yeah, so we were out there. And, dude, one of the main objectives of this year's NAM trip was that uh, we were playing a huge show that we set up with mm-hmm. Neely Brosh, Mark Letary from Snarky Puppy, Andy Timmons, who was one of my idols. I played mm-hmm. with him last year. Yeah, incredible dude as well as paul gilbert paul gilbert is one of my absolute favorite guitar players of all time like an absolute hero of mine have have guitar players ever thought of adopting rap like monikers because all of these guys have the most poindexter names names. that's a good point (laughs) you know what i mean little gilb yeah little gilb there you go it's not a bad name Uh uh-huh I mean, I've got Uncle Ben as kind of a name. Yeah, see, that's good. Yeah. People remember that. Ben Eller is just like, oh, it's just some white dude. Yeah, exactly. Uncle Ben. Oh, yeah, the dude who shreds guitar. It's a, it's a brand name. It's yeah. Branding. Hey, 2 Chains gave up Titty Boy, so that one's available. Titty Boy. Yeah, that was 2 Chains' original. <laughs> really? Yeah, and then, you know, when he was like, I want to get on the radio, they were like, well, probably want to drop that Titty Boy part. <laughs> It worked. <laughs> look look yep. at it, how it turned out for him. Uh-huh. So you know Paul Gilbert because he's got played on I'm the one who wants oh, to yeah. uh-huh. be. That's him. But he is. Be with you. you know, he's I like, always liked the guy in the back. Be with you. Uh-huh. Yeah. It might have been Paul. I don't know. Maybe it was. But he is just a shred motherfucker. One awesome. of my heroes. So to find myself standing on stage with him, playing the big daddy noises yeah, on yeah. the big guitar. Boo, 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 boo. Oh, man. Go mow the lawn and clean up your room. Exactly right. Uh-huh. And meanwhile, he was up there going, wee, wee, wee. <laughs> It was and amazing. don't forget, we love you. <laughs> <laughs> Show was great. The rest of the convention was amazing. And then on Sunday, we went to Disney World. That's awesome. I had never been to the one in California I've before. never been. Dude, it's awesome. I bet. It is awesome. I've been to the Florida one before, mm-hmm. and it, it was rad, but the California one was, was dope. Yeah, I've been to the Florida one. I went when I was a kid. I remember loving it, but uh, yeah, we just we didn't ever have the money to do that like if it had been a vacation going yeah. to la like it's one of those things where when you're moving somewhere you're like well yeah we'll get the money sometime to do that but then like you just live life yeah yeah but when you're on vacation you're like well i got a few days i'm yeah. going to do that exactly <laughs> yeah. right exactly right yeah. it was a blast it really was you know it's like i'm not even a I'm not necessarily a giant Disney guy myself. No, but you know it, I, mean? I mean, it's all familiar, yeah. obviously. You know all that stuff. And everything there is just so engineered to make you smile and have yeah. a good time. Mm-hmm. Everything about it is there yeah. for you to have a good time. So, yeah, we had a blast, man. It got back Monday at like 1 in the morning, and then Tuesday I woke up and I was snowed in. Damn. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> well, welcome to fucking Tennessee. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, it was cold getting back. <laughs> it was very cold for a little bit, yeah. But I had a I had a great time. It has really been a very fun week. And that run of shows we did with Andy and Seth yeah. before was also fantastic. That's awesome. Had a really good time playing the guitar. The guitar. I like to play guitar. Is guitar when you just rub um, like 70 grit sandpaper across the strings? Keeping it raw, dude. Yeah. Keeping it real raw. What have you been doing in the meantime while I've been out rocking Man, and I was doing a whole lot of stuff. I was working on Shark Cemetery. Not really yes. working on it, just writing it. Like, I, yes. I refuse to work on it. I refuse to think about any of the yeah. characters or anything. I just want it to just exist. Just floor it. Yeah. Is it coming along real good, like? 
It's fine. Yeah? I mean, it's as good as it's going to be. As good as it's going to be. <laughs> yeah. I'll drink, I'll drink to that. All right. What are we drinking? Let's pop us up a cold one here from the private collection of one RDM, the notorious Roger Dean Miller, who contributed these. Oh, Mean Dean. Mean oh, Dean. Mean Oakland. Dean. Yeah, Mean Dean died man. Was that before we... I think that was after we had recorded it all those episodes. Yeah. yeah. All right. It's a real shame. Man. That guy was great. Oh, dude. Yeah. He he interviewed all my childhood gods. Yeah. And he know? did. Like, he was always so fucking perfect at keeping a straight face. Like, if you go back and look at interviews between him and Macho Man Randy Savage, it is oh, seriously some of the, the most beautiful stuff. Because you can tell Macho Man... Who was an intelligent person. Yeah. People should re- read about Randy Savage if you ever get a chance. Really? That, a very intelligent man. Had a baseball, like, was a baseball player before he became a professional wrestler. I did not stuff. know that. Um, but he uh, he would intentionally try to crack Mean really? Gene. So he would do the most ridiculous shit. And Mean Gene never cracked. He was always just, like, straight man to this Dude. insanity. It was perfect. Uh, on a similar note, I'm going to recommend an Instagram feed for you and Uh-oh. everybody else to follow. Let's hear it. It's an Instagram feed called WrestleBotch. WrestleBotch. It, yeah, it's all one word. WrestleBotch. Is botch. it a bunch of botched moves? Yep. Is it like and, and that it, time Sid Vicious jumped off that second rope and ooh. broke his leg in oh, half? Oh, I've watched that so many ooh. times, dude. Yeah, it's those and like interview bloopers and stuff yeah. like that. Oh, God, it is so funny. And the guy's <laughs> captions he writes and stuff make it even yeah. better. The, so the good. The guy who came out in the the bejeweled stormtrooper Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. And they it had wasn't, been building it up for like three weeks or who something. Who was that? It, it wasn't was a, It was Tugboat. It was, was the it guy tugboat? who played Tugboat, yeah. They had been building it up for like three weeks and yeah. he comes walking out and trips immediately. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody's like laughing at off. him. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Okay, so this beer right here yeah. is from Masthead Brewing Co. Uh-huh. out of Cleveland. It is a single origin coffee stout. Now, yeah. whenever uh, RDM gave us these, he specifically requested that we consume these whenever yeah, we these do stouts. the shining. So we're going to be doing another stout after this. Um, but this, he said... Uh, this is really interesting because the six shooter coffee people work together with the people at Masthead in Cleveland. And we got a single origin coffee from a great coffee place being used to make an awesome stout. So let's All find right. out how it goes. Let's find out about this thing. Go ahead and get you a pool. I'll tell you what, it it looks like I'm thinking that's about a 10W30 sitting oh. here in my cup. Is it awesome? Yeah. Yeah, it gets good to you? Yeah, it's um it's coffee. Oh. It tastes like coffee. How would you compare it to our beloved Gotta Get Up to Get Down by oh, Wiseacre? Oh, man. I would say, yeah. It's in, on par, but the bitterness Ooh. the bitterness of that coffee is much more coffee-y wow. than Gotta Get Up to Get Down. Yeah, it is. Yeah, the Gotta Get Up to Get Down has a great coffee flavor. Yeah. This tastes like there's black coffee in here. Yeah, it just tastes like coffee. Damn. This is great. And it's also surprisingly light. It really is, it's not especially too heavy. considering it is a 6.9% hey, alcohol. Wine them, dine them. 69 them. <laughs> this is really, really yeah, good. I'm digging this. I a enjoy lot. that very much, man. Usually, you, you know, really dark beers like this, I'm like, yeah, that's cool, but I won't yeah, drink the whole thing. Yeah, they're usually way heavier, too. This is really fucking good. That's yeah, great. I like man. that a lot. So um, it, what else have I been doing? Yeah, I was going to say, while you've not been writing on that thing. Oh, man, doing? a bunch of stuff has happened. My wife had a birthday. My dog had a birthday. Oh, my God. We didn't do anything for the dog birthday except uh, tell her we loved her. Okay. I think she got the point. I think so. Uh, for my wife's birthday, we had a good bit of fun. Yeah. Did a few things, but uh, most interesting, I think, is we watched Mars Attacks. Oh. Yeah. 
We awesome. were just flipping through stuff, and my wife was like, Mars Attacks. I want to watch Mars Attacks. It's been forever since Me I've too. seen that. I remember it's... when it came out, everybody fucking hated that movie. Yeah, people everybody really didn't it. get Mars Attacks, but I remember it played a lot on HBO, and I saw it so many times, and every time I watched it, I was like, this is hilarious. Like, I yeah. don't get why people don't like this movie. Well, it's so obviously a take on like what would happen if some of those really shit you know, 50s B-movies were yeah. made today. You know, and the it's thing supposed that, to be bad. The thing that was interesting to me is like it's around that time with like the X Files and Men in Black and Independence True. Day and stuff, but it's a little bit before yeah. uh, Men in Black and uh, around I think it came out the same year as Independence Day. Oh wow! So it's satirizing this thing that's going on at the time. Yeah. So it's genius. I enjoyed it so, so much, and everybody, and it's great. I love how the damn aliens sound. They're my favorite. <laughs> they just sound so mm-hmm. angry and dumb. <laughs> like they just sound really dumb. They do. And they are. That's the thing yeah, I saw this idiots, time yeah. is that they're just like, they must have just lucked into this technology because they're very dumb. Right. <laughs> I need to watch it again, dude. It's been forever. It's a fun. It's still fun. And like the thing, because they made it, it was already like weird and over the top and weird looking. It ages well. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so, yeah. like, you look at it and you're like, they don't look human. Of course they don't. They look weird. Yeah. <laughs> They're supposed to look weird. And it's fine. Yeah. Right on. And Jack Black. I forgot that he oh, was shit, in it. Oh, shit. Is he in there? Yeah. Everybody's in that movie. That movie yeah. has damn everybody it in does. it. It does. Yeah. So many people. Pam Greer's in it. Oh, yeah. She's great. Yeah. Badass. What else did you see? Um, I also watched The Ballad of Buster uh, Scruggs. Scruster Bugs. Coen Brothers movie on Netflix. I have been hearing that it's awesome. I love it so much. Thing that you need to know before you go into it, it is not a comedy. Okay. Yeah. The All right. preview on Netflix will give you it the idea it that it's like going to be really funny. Yeah, like a silly Coen Brothers it's thing. A, it, it, like, if you know anything about American realism and naturalism in the early 20th century, the, the Jack London, okay. you know Jack London, Call yeah. of the Wild type of stuff. Right. Um, that type of stuff was not, it was not ever uh, meant to be a happy ending type of story. Okay, not and Cowboy so, Rides Up Into the Sunset. Yeah, don't yeah, be yeah. expecting that while you're watching. Um, it's there's a there's a particular segment that has Tom Waits in it. Oh. That is so perfectly like the the stuff that happens in it is what westerns should be. Like the Coen brothers get westerns. Really? They've made one of the most perfect ones. Uh, in the remake of True Grit. Yeah, the yeah. original True Grit is great. The yeah. remake is even better. The remake is fantastic. Yeah. It really is. Um, but Ballad of Buster Scruggs, I think they showed like they get westerns in a way that people have forgotten that westerns are supposed to be. Yeah. They're supposed to be fucking man against man yeah. against the elements. Like wow. everything is trying to kill you constantly. Yeah. And it's rare that anything turns out great. It's an Ern Thurlager. It is. It's an anthology. So, I mean, some of the segments are funny. I heard that it's supposed to be aren't. like a series, and then they just decided to that mash it all to turn it into a movie. That would have been really interesting to see. Yeah? Yeah. Was it like five stories or something? Yeah, I think about five. It's, um, uh, it's, I would say it's about two, a little over two hours. Okay. So each one's maybe 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Th- does it have that usual coen brothers magic dialogue that's so hilarious and perfect yeah absolutely and it's got tons of people they've used before tim blake nelson is in it okay who is amazing love tim blake nelson it also has ray fines in it Mm. and brendan gleason 
in Ralph the same. Fiennes. Oh, oh, Ralph Fiennes. Ralph, yeah. he's called. Yeah. Ray Fiennes and Brendan Gleeson are, are perfect in their segment. Really? Just so great. Yeah. I've been meaning to watch it. It's been kind of staring me down on the Netflix. Hopefully now that, that things are like kind of chill for yeah. maybe two seconds, uh-huh. I'll, I'll have time to sit back and watch it because I keep hearing a lot of good stuff about I it. I did one other thing. Yeah? And that is I watched, so far, excluding two, Okay. I watched every John Carpenter horror movie. All but two. All but two so far, and I'm halfway through Ghosts of Mars. That is a lot of movies. How many yeah. movies would that be? Um, plus his uh, Masters of Horrors. Yeah. 16. Shit. Yeah, there are 16 horror movies. Have there been... Okay, let me ask you this. First of all, what's the two that you don't have watched yet? Um, I haven't watched one of the Masters of Horror. Okay. And I haven't rewatched Christine. I've seen Christine before. That's kind of why I put it off because I was like, I, I know what it is. But so I wanted to watch them all, even though I have seen them. You've practically seen all of them now, then. Yeah. Are there any ones that jump out as like new favorites? We're of course big Carpenter fans here on the show. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> man, you know, I I really love the Apocalypse trilogy, which sure. is the thing, uh, Prince of Darkness, and In the Mouth of Madness. I think Prince of Darkness doesn't get enough credit. Really? For um, one being extremely weird and different. Sure. Like I still haven't seen it. So yeah, you got to check it out. No. But two, having one of the best Carpenter soundtracks. I oh, think. you know I love a Carpenter. It's soundtrack, amazing. Man. It's so good from the moment it starts. You're Shit. like, this is a Carpenter movie, and it just fucking goes the whole time. It's amazing, great, and it also just um, it was used a lot in DJ Shadows introducing. Oh, I've listened uh, to that, actually. Yeah. yeah, so a lot of that stuff is from Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. No shit. Or some other Carpenter stuff. Well, dang. Um, it's great. Is it I, streaming I anywhere it so right now? Fuck, I don't remember where I watched it. Okay, right on. But I think it, it is. I'm pretty sure it's streaming. And this Carpenter is worth buying, for sure. That's true. If it's no. Carpenter, like, even, uh, like, Village of the Damned, which isn't great. Yeah. And he obviously didn't try hard on it. Like I've even in it. interviews, he said like it was a it was a contract uh, job that I took because it was close to home. Yeah. Um, but even then, it's there's still elements carpenter elements that are really cool, and I wish like he could have gotten a better shot at it instead of just being kind of sort throw of away. throw away. Yeah. yeah. How is our old favorite Mouth of Madness watching Still it again? Still great, man. I think Underrated every single thing. I think every single thing Sam Neill says could be a meme. No every shit. single. Th- <laughs> I started taking screenshots of it, and I was like, "You could use this yeah. in any situation on the internet." Wow. Yeah, especially the wow, fuck that. Oh, I love That's that. That's one of my faves, dude. That is, I still maintain one of the most underrated movies of it all is. time. Yeah. I think people just don't really understand it. They don't get it. They should listen to our episode about it if they want to learn more about it. I think by now, it's not even that people don't understand it. It's just that they don't think of it as a movie to watch. Yeah, like it, It didn't get enough attention at the time, and it it still hasn't really caught the audience I think it deserves, even though it does have a cult following. I'd love to see like an, an altogether ranking of where you put all these things where, you know, what you I'm going to do your that top three and stuff. Yeah. Now, I'm going to be doing asked, that. Did you have, they live in there. Mm-hmm. Do you love they it as much as, as I do? Yes. I love it. I did watch. They live though. I would say, I'm, I'm not sure if that's a horror movie. I think yeah, it's a no. sci-fi movie. It might fit into the horror trope, but I did watch it. I love it so yeah. much, man. I had to stop myself from watching Big Trouble in Little China after, um, after watching They Live. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because I was like, 
And I really want to... Uh, like, I really just wanted to watch every one of his movies. And just, like... Because I don't think I've ever seen Starman. I've never seen... No. We talked about it with the thing. I've never seen the Elvis biopic. I haven't either. That's, like, really early. Yeah. It? Yeah. So, there, there's some of his movies I don't think I've ever seen. But I, I am going to do something with this. I'm going to try to cool. put together a little video to toss up on the YouTube. I like it, man. Yeah, yeah like a list kind of thing. That'd be fun. Yeah. A little narrative thing. Hey, this Get is... mad hits, dude. Pitch how about, intent. How about some mad hits? I like those, man. I like those mad hits. It's me, Mormon <laughs> Steve. Bubble voice. Oh, no. You're back again? Yeah. <laughs> I stopped <laughs> masturbating for long enough that I'm Mormon again. <laughs> Get you another pull of that beer and you'll remember oh, why, why you're not here. a Mormon. <laughs> right. Yeah. There we go. Back to normal. Hail Satan. That's about the most anti-Mormon beer you can get considering <laughs> it's a beer it's with just, coffee. Yeah. It's coffee. <laughs> it's 6.9%. You know Mormons Ooh. aren't into 69. And I doubt it. They say don't whine them. Do dine them. Please do not 69 Refrain from 69 yeah. Please. For the love of the Lord. Jesus never said to 69. <laughs> you know, Steve, I'm usually uh, I'm usually busy watching a lot of stuff for the show and yeah. everything, but because we had our shows ready in, in advance yeah. in my, my couple of days I had before I left for my trips, I did watch a couple of things. What'd you watch? That I just wanted to see. Sat down and watched one Aliens. Oh, yeah? That's the second Game Alien. over, man. Game over. Improv line. Yeah, dude, he improv like fucking everything. Bill Paxton's the man. He was the man. Yeah, R.I.P. Man, man. Mm -hmm. dude, that movie is still unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable, man. It is. Like, I think it. It's a movie that um, got a lot of hype back in the day, but needed some breathing room because some people who loved Alien didn't like Aliens because it moves from pure like sci-fi with some horror elements to horror action yeah and it's a completely different film yeah but it's yeah looking amazing. back on it now it's like well that is how it would happen once you figure out that the alien exists yeah like you're gonna set up space forces with guns to be prepared for them right yeah, exactly yeah well it's cool too because with the first one you kind of see how big business uh-huh treats an event like that yeah. and this and you see how the military industrial complex yeah. treats you know alien life and mm-hmm. then even in the third one you almost see how religion does it because the cult yeah thing, that movie could have been better that was uh the director's cut sick yeah that's the director's um, cut's good dave fincher dave fincher yeah. uh was the director he wanted his name taken off of the original wow. cut, the theatrical cut they kind of mangled it yeah but didn't um what's his name the buffy guy didn't he do most of the rewrites Did on the he? script yeah what's his name God, crap I don't know. The Marvel guy. Yeah, ah! that guy. Francis Bubble Trousers. Francis Bubble Trousers. Damn it. Dude, Alien still might be the best best practical effects of all time. When you see the Alien okay. Queen and stuff, yeah. I don't really know how anything could look better. I really don't know. All you know. need is condoms and black paint. Apparently, yeah. right? Tons of lube. Yep. You know? <laughs> A lot of lube to make it look slimy. It's unreal. Yeah. That is That is still an amazing movie. I kind of forgot how long it takes to kind of you know, really get the the wheels going. It's probably I think all like, those alien movies do yeah. that. They all lull you in, even though you know what's coming after the yeah. first one. The they name still of the movie lull is you aliens. in, where you're like, okay, but well, when's it, what's going to happen here? Yeah, and then you're like caught off guard, of course. Yeah, man, it's it's a ten. That movie's fucking yeah, awesome. it's great. So I watched that, really enjoyed that, and uh, 
Whenever I got back, we rented Sorry to Bother You. Oh, okay. Have Lakeith you seen that? Stanfield and uh, what's her name from Thor Ragnarok, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. That yeah. is her. Damn it. I, the whole time no, I was I like, who is she? Yeah. I haven't watched it yet, but I want to. I, I, I've had it just sitting in my queue. I want to watch it. How did you feel about it? I feel that it was weird as balls. Yeah. Black director. Dude, it was... It's a, it's a new, like, sort of... He, he's going for a sort of black absurdism that uh, I, I want to see. I want to see it play out. It has weird, surreal, I would even say, like, Dada-ist elements yeah. to it. Like, from watching the preview for it, I was completely not prepared for this movie. Because you yeah. watch the preview, and it's like, it's about a black guy in a call center Preview, that Yeah, figures, previews always establish a story yeah. that doesn't necessarily go along with the, what the film... Yeah, because yeah. I just thought it was about a black guy working in a call center that figures out if he talks like a white person, he can get people to buy his products. Yeah. Like, that's all that the trailer shows you. The movie is so fucking weird. Yeah. And, like, surreal and horrific at times. Did you see that uh, Jordan Peele wants Lakeith Stanfield to be the new Candyman? No way. Jordan Peele's doing a remake of Candyman. So I heard. Which, which is already fucking cool. I'm on deck. Yeah, 100%. I am on deck. Like, uh, that's the guy that could kind of finally break this streak of they're remaking all the franchises and they fucking suck. Like yeah. Like they've done with Elm Street and, and yeah. 13th. Dude, if he redoes Candyman. Uh-huh. It's going to be sick. Yeah, and if Lakeith Stanfield plays him, it'll be a different thing than Tony Todd. Oh man, I mean, because awesome. Lakeith Stanfield can speak in that Tony Todd type of voice, yeah, yeah, yeah. but like he's he plays his roles way too, like in Atlanta. Yeah, he said just, he was awesome. He's in that. great in it. Like, What's his name in that? Oh, I can't, I can't remember. remember. Yeah, but he's obsessed with guns and shit. Like yeah. he's such a weirdo the way he plays everything. Like the way he downplays lines that you would normally think would be big reveals and then the way he says stuff that's just offhand like yeah it's a big thing and it's like what the fuck <laughs> like where did you learn how to act yeah, in yeah. like alien jail like it's alien insane. jail yeah in the spice mines of castle yeah like, it's amazing i love that guy that movie is so weird like i gotta I was check it out completely not in the right headspace to watch it like this is this is when i can't remember if i watched it before i left i want to say i might have watched it right before i left okay so i was still kind of at like peak stress level yeah. i really should just be watching something like disney cartoons and chilling out yeah you know because seriously the weeks leading not up watching to my trip, a super challenging movie oh dude yeah. and it was just not what i was expecting at all i was also like kind of stoned so well that it, made yeah. it even more freakish uh-huh. i'm not gonna spoil anything there's there's just Good. stuff that happens in that movie that you could never predict you could never ever awesome. predict so i look forward to seeing your thoughts on it kate loved it yeah i think i just wasn't really in the correct headspace to to take it in i think i, I would definitely need to see it again yeah i'll check it out man i've, I've been wanting to watch it for a while tessa yeah. thompson is, is tessa it? thompson there yeah. we go she's great she's yeah. awesome in westworld oh yeah that's right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, Steve, the subject of our show today uh-huh. is one that I have been looking forward to ever since we decided to do a podcast because we're talking about my favorite horror movie of all time. The Shining. The, yeah. <laughs> That's the one. Yeah. It might even be my favorite movie of all time. Yeah. I have it's been for sure. obsessed with this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely obsessed and it's the yeah. kind of thing that happens in waves where I'll go through a phase where I'm doing all the research about it and yeah. then I'll drop off then I'll get re-obsessed with it again I watch this movie at least once usually a couple times a year yeah 
Stanley Kubrick's Immortal 1980 classic, The Shining, is the topic it's so of the show. It's so great, man. It's the fucking <clears throat> best. Yeah, uh, so there's no, there's no like, worry at the end. We can go ahead and tell you it's a 10. Yeah, it's a fucking 10. Um, if you've never seen this movie and you're listening to this show to figure out if you should watch it and you just sat through all of our bullshitting and stuff, yeah, watch it. Watch the movie. Yeah, and then come back and listen to the yeah, rest of this. Because we're sure. going to... We're gonna, uh, Get real deep into it because yeah. we've both seen this movie a ton of times. Get in there, real, real deep, uh-huh. like. I think we've both seen Room Two Three Seven, the yes. the documentary about overreading The Shining. Uh, <laughs> Correct. Well, uh, have you seen the behind the scenes documentary shot by his yeah, daughter? Vivian yeah, that yeah. one's great. And I watched it with her commentary the other night too. Yeah, yeah. And I've read the book. I'm actually yeah. reading the book for the second. I time I have right not now. read the book. But you totally should. I uh, yeah. You totally I, totally. Should. I've I've been wanting to finally sit down and read a bunch of Stephen King stuff. Because no doubt. I read the I've read it. I've read a bunch yeah. of his short stories. I think, uh, you know, a, a few other things. The, the his book on writing and stuff. Is that good? I've been curious about it. <clears throat> I mean, he's not Do a wrong. Bunch of blows, I mean, he's start not, typing. It would be like if. Uh, it would be like if Bill Gates wrote a book on making money. You'd be like, well, yeah, like he's he, he knows, knows how, how to, to do, do it. it. Yeah, like he Stephen King knows how to do it. Yeah. Um, I disagree with some of the stuff he says in on writing, but that doesn't mean he's wrong. Okay. Yeah. Worth checking out. Worth checking out. Well written. Oh, he's man. a smart guy, obviously. Well, because we're obviously going to spend a lot of time talking about this movie for our intro topic here, as we step into the glorious preview palace. Welcome to the preview palace. Steve, I just want to do just a little quick fuzzbead quiz with you here. Fuzzbead? Fuzzbead the ledger. Fuzzbead. Considering that, you know, our, our main our main dude here in the movie, old Jackie Torrance, old Jackie T, as I call him, yeah, is, you know, quite the booze hound, quite the yeah. alcohol-loving he man himself. He loves alcohol. It's a man after my own heart. Although, he must be kind of dumb because he orders a bourbon and gets Jack Daniels. That is not a bourbon. That's a Tennessee whiskey. Yeah. What an amateur hour fucking mistake that is. But anyway. To five months on the wagon (laughs) and all the irreparable harm that it caused. I'd like to take a quiz here where we're going to pick five alcoholic drinks and they're going to reveal our sexiest qualities. Find out what makes you so intoxicating. This is... Everything. Very relevant. This is to me everything because it's like I love alcohol and I have tons of sexy qualities. Same, so this dude. Is like, it's gonna be hard let's to Let's figure it out. This is by Sarah Aspler from BuzzFeed staff in Canada. Yeah, Buzzfeed. All, right. All right, Steve. Let me ask you. You got to pull up on your rig yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're at brunch. What are you drinking? You okay. gonna have you a, a peach mimosa? Mm. You gonna have a bloody mar? Right. Or you gonna have an Arsh coffee? All right. Well, mimosas are. Especially because they water them down at brunch. Yes. It's just a sugar bomb. I mean, do you want a midday hangover? No. That's a good point. A Bloody Mary's for if you've been out partying the night before. Yeah, exactly. And you need something to make sure that hangover doesn't come on. Hair of the dog. And then Irish coffee is if you just woke up and want to get drunk. (laughs) Um, And so for me, brunch, I think... Uh, Bloody Mary. Yeah. 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 I love a Bloody Mary. Man. Mend the wounds of the night before. Yeah. I, got, I like a Bloody Mary. I like a Bloody Mary in general. I've gotten to where I enjoy a Bloody Mary. Yeah. Okay. It's not like my favorite thing. And I would rather have uh-huh. a uh, fuck. What do they call that? 
with with beer and clavado. Oh, and a michelada. Michelada. Michelada is a great. I'd rather have a michelada. You with could a have shit gotten some amazing micheladas in L.A. Oh, dude, I'm there sure. There are some places like where you know they include like shrimp and mini tacos and shit. Lord have mercy, man. <laughs> yeah. I'd rather have one of those than a Bloody Mary. I don't like any hot drink with alcohol other really? than that, other than that amazing pineapple thing we tested you, on the YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah, that which was, was awesome. The best. You can do an iced Irish coffee. Okay. Well, maybe I'd like that. If I was I mean, like that, a, do, do a little uh, cold brew. Oh, okay. Actually, it's you know a, what? That might work. Uh, normally an Irish coffee. put a Jamo in there? Huh? They put a Jamo in there with Jameson? Uh, yeah, Jameson. Bailey's. You normally want to go with an Irish whiskey, but yeah. you can make it with a bourbon. It's going to have a completely different sure. flavor profile. Yeah. But yeah, you're going to throw some some brown sugar in there and then, then cream on the top. Mm. It's great. Given my choices here, I'm going to go with that peach mimosa. Yeah. I enjoy them most. Usually, I whenever too. I make them at home, dude, like oh yeah, then they're not watered. Down. Oh no, <laughs> Kate and I figured out a bottle of champagne equals uh-huh. two pint glasses with just enough room for like a splash of juice. In Perfect. Both. Yeah, I mean, I'm ta- I'm talking like there's maybe yeah. maybe an eighth of an inch left at yeah. the top of the glass. It's like okay, filled to the rim. Yeah, which means a splash of OJ or uh, pomegranate cranberry juice, whatever you want to do. So yeah, that's what I'm going for. Mm. All right, Ben, you're on a beach vacation, right near the beach. <laughs> What are you drinking, boy? <laughs> Lord of mercy. Light beer. Looks like a Corona. Mm-hmm, does. Margarita. Mm-mm-mm. Pina colada. A marg is my, my traditional drink that yeah. I usually have at the beach. Usually whenever we go to the beach with my wife and her family. Yeah, margarita's perfect. I'm Mr. Margarita yeah. every night and every day. Yeah, it's I just get like, it. all right, go ahead and make the picture of margaritas. Yeah. And, you know, last year is when I perfected the jalapeno pineapple margarita, which yes. I still have yet to make for you. You need to make me one. I've heard about this, and I love jalapeno no. and pineapple oh, together. Oh, dude, it's, it's so good. It'll make you want to leave the one you're with. Damn. Bye, Emily. <laughs> See you later. Guess I'm marrying a drink. <laughs> um, I I also love... Wait, let me ask you a question. Okay. Margarita. Yeah. Do you ever prefer a frozen margarita no. to a margarita on the rocks? Uh-uh. Me either. No. I don't get it. Uh-huh. I don't get frozen margarita. After you've had a margarita on the rocks, it's yeah. like, that's, okay, that's what I've always wanted. And let me straighten something out, too. When I'm talking about how I like a margarita, I don't mean that bullshit Jose Cuervo Gatorade oh, sugar no. mix you get at the fucking no, store. No, no, no. I want Throw that real. stuff out the window. Yeah. You don't want mm. that. That stuff is terrible and gives you an awful hangover. Yeah, we're not using sour mix. We're using triple sec. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like just tequila, lime juice, triple set. Mm-hmm. If you if you do want to make a good sweet and sour at home, you can do that. That is true. And I'll make those for people that want a weaker drink. Right. I'll make a homemade sweet and sour and stuff. And it's actually really good and very yeah. easy to do and infinitely better than the shit you buy at the sure, store. Sure, yeah. But yeah, yeah, none, none of that. Are you a salt on the rim guy? I do like salt on the rim. I'll put a pinch of salt in the drink. Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah. Yeah, if you want your salt... Might as well just go ahead and throw it in the drink instead yeah, of wasting it on the rim. Toss it yeah. in there. Um, I'm going to go with light beer because yeah. uh, I don't know why it is for me. I wouldn't I wouldn't go with a light beer, mm-hmm. but an IPA or something on the beach. Mm-hmm. Like I, I want a beer when I'm thirsty. Yeah. That's the thing I think of when I'm like hot and thirsty. Yeah, yeah. You don't want yeah. a sugary something or another. No, I just want beer. My traditional on the beach drink, it's the only time of year that I really drink them, spiced rum coke. Oh yeah, that's total a good total one. sugar bomb, uh-huh. just garbage. But uh-huh. seriously, for some reason, get the Mexican I'm at the beach. Coke with sugar, oh, actual yeah, sugar in it. Yeah. And honestly, I hate to say, in that context, Captain Morgan's is better. It is. Captain Morgan's plays a great role with Coke. 
if it's especially if you throw a little lime in there, yes. it really brings oh, out yeah. some good flavor in the. If it's time to just sip it rum. or or have it in any kind of, I especially like Sailor Jerry with like apple cider and stuff. Yeah. Uh-huh. In any kind of context like that, yeah, I'll take Sailor Jerry or Kraken or anything sure. like that. But if it's with Coke, give me the shit. It's kind of like whiskey and Coke. Jack Daniels is the best. It for that. really is. Yeah, because it's Jack such a one-dimensional flavor. Really well, with they Coke. do. Yeah. And you know, I think I've come to the realization that it's because it's such a one-dimensional flavor. Yeah. That whenever you do something like with a ton of flavors to it, like a like a Knob Creek or a good Elijah Craig or something mm-hmm. like that, which has so many layers of flavor, you're just covering them. Yeah, and yeah. then you put it with Coke, which has a million flavors. Yeah. It ends up tasting like nothing. Whereas whenever you do, yeah, like you said, Jack or Jim and Coke, mm-hmm. it's just kind of like this one note kind of flavor. Yeah. So you can still taste the whiskey and the Coke. I, I add Jim, to me, Jim Beam and Coke adds a cherry Coke sort of flavor okay, to it. Okay, I see that. A yeah. little bit. Yeah. And then Jack has, to me, Jack Daniels has a sort of piney taste that mm. I like. Yeah, yeah. Sort of resiny like an IPA. Right. But also just sort of smooth. Yeah. It fits in there real good. Anyway. All right, Steve, you're at a fancy restaurant. Okay. What are you drinking? Are you drinking a, a Negroni? Not a bad choice. I've never had Negroni. They're good. What is it? Oh. I can't even remember. Yeah, I can't. I think it's got Campari. Campari, Campari, I think, is Uh in there. A red wine. Uh Are you having yourself a nice old fashioned? (laughs) Well, that's. I think that's easy, right? Old fashioned. Old fashioned. Yeah, old yeah, fashioned me too. all the way. I've gotten to where I've started making them at home too. You ever yeah. made one? Yes. I enjoy. Mm-hmm. I love me an old fashioned. Yeah, because yeah. it yeah. looks fancy, but it's actually just a cup of liquor. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> There's this. Have you ever watched Mad Men? Uh, yes. Okay. There's a scene where uh, they're at like a big fancy thing that January Jones wanted to go to, mm-hmm. and he like sneaks into the house and finds the bar, and he's making his his own old fashioned. Yeah, dude. And that was like early when I had left the church, and I was like, I want that for some reason. Yeah. Like I had stopped being Mormon, and I had started trying to get into bourbon. Did a little devil on your shoulder go? Get your pole. <laughs> he did. Get He's your pole. Get your pole. <laughs> Man, I don't know. Like he, though he, t- he, like the way he makes it and stuff. And he's talking to somebody while he's doing it. It's just like, man, that looks great. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Well, the, the nice thing about that is, like, whenever you make an old fashioned and you're like muddling up the sugar and the bitters yeah. and stuff, it's like your own private little like drug ritual. You yeah, know, where it's like it you get the spoon and you're lighting yeah. it up. And- there's a there's a really good uh, bit in Naked Lunch about that. Oh yeah, about like preparing the spoon and stuff and yeah. that is like the ritual the is ritual. the fun part yeah I mean yeah. The, uh, that uh, uh, in Nirvana that Nirvana song Kurt Cobain says I forget just why I taste oh yeah I guess it makes me smile like it's part of the ritual like tasting the heroin yeah, yeah. even though you don't like you know yeah. it's good you're getting it from the same person you're getting it from all the time yeah but like it's just part of the ritual I'm not trying to convince anyone to do heroin, but I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying, yeah. Backspace, backspace, yeah, backspace. Yeah, let's go back a little bit. Let's, <laughs> let's kind of select that whole paragraph and delete it. Um, but yeah, like the, the ritual of making the, the drink. I mean, yeah. that's why I like using an AeroPress and stuff too. Like oh, my yeah. morning coffee ritual where yes. I make it on the AeroPress. That's the ritual that mm-hmm. I like. Also, I love coffee. I Me too. To Coffee's great. <laughs> Next. Speaking of which, coffee stout. So good. Uh, you're in Europe. Okay, What cool. you drinking? All right. Uh, limoncello, classic, great. Guinness, mm. Uzo. I enjoy a properly poured Guinness. That's so much different Seriously, from the can. I would, I would love to go to the Orman. Guinness Brewery. Yeah, yeah. Because like, I, I saw a YouTube video where they went to the Guinness Brewery and like 
they they will tell you how they properly yeah. pour it. Like they go There's through like the history of it yeah. and stuff and show how to do it. It's really cool. But you know, of these choices, I love ouzo. Really, most I like ouzo peop- too. Do you really? I do. Dude, it's like, got a weird flavor. Most everybody fucking hates it because most yeah. people hate that black licorice yeah. flavor. For those of you guys who don't know, ouzo is a Greek liqueur which is very strongly I anise think, flavored. I think it's because it's clear. If yeah. it were a brown liquor, people would be like, "Ooh, those licorice flavors well, or they whatever." Make, they make black ouzo as well. I've never had that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, you just basically pour it with with water, and it turns a cloudy kind yeah. of color. And you have it with ice. God, I love it. It is like drinking a black licorice jelly bean, which a lot of people I know absolutely hate. Yeah, I love it. I can't get enough. I love that stuff. Yeah. When I look at these three, I just think about the places where they are. If you're drinking ouzo, you're in Greece. I'd I love to love go there. That. Yeah, I'm okay yeah. with that. If you're drinking Guinness, you're in Ireland. I would love, love that. There. If you're drinking limoncello, you're in Italy. I'm okay right with Right now, of those. that's exactly where I want to be. Yeah. Because it's not cold. Ah, yes. <laughs> so I'm saying limoncello. That's a good choice, man. All right, Steve, you're at the club. You got a bottle full of bub. I know what you need. <laughs> if you're into taking drugs. <laughs> What shots are you drinking? Are you drinking a whiskey shot? Uh-huh. Are you drinking a tequila shot? Yeah. Are you hitting an absinthe? Lord of mercy, that is a strong party going on right For there. For real, shots I don't really, I don't do shots either. I'm not somebody, really if, like, if somebody is like, I'm buying around the shots, I'm like, I'm sipping on a shot, I guess. Yeah, sure, yeah. But if I'm sipping on it, tequila or whiskey would, yeah, but everybody would expect you to shoot the tequila. That's my shot of choice. If you if you need help choosing here, yeah, yeah. like I don't well, really you go like with shots. tequila. I'll go with whiskey then. I like taking a tequila shot. Yeah, I it's kind of like a whole margarita all at once. <laughs> you know, I mean, I would rather just sip on a nice drink. But yeah, if I I'm did, doing a I, shot, I'll do that. I just remember when I was a freshman. Uh, when I first graduated high school, I went to Maryville College. Yeah, Maryville in, in Maryville, Tennessee. Uh, which is a smaller school, but it was really cool. Yeah. Had a lot of uh, advantages to it. But one of the first weeks I was there, uh, me and a bunch of guys on the floor, uh, we had bought like a a big plastic half gallon of cheap ass tequila. Like you do. And we were doing tequila shots. And this is probably 11 in the morning. Oh, God. And we we went through it. I think four or five of us. We went through it and then called some girls and had them pick up another half gallon of tequila. Good God. And come over. And I've never wanted to shoot tequila again. (laughs) I cured you. Yeah. So whiskey. (laughs) All right, Steve. Apparently, my sexiest quality is my sense of humor. There's nothing better than laughter. And that's always something you can supply. You can find the silver lining in almost every situation and are the life of the party. That is pretty true. I mean, you know, they might not be wrong because, like, that's kind of a constant thing that, that Kate and I are always talking about whenever I'm gone. Yeah, you know, she's just like, there's nobody here to amuse me. Yeah. You know, she's yeah. never like, I miss that average size dick of yours. <laughs> that never comes up. Never, ever. <laughs> but it's always like, you know what? I need somebody to make me laugh. Yeah. It's important. It really is. It's a very important skill for males as we have evolved because our hunter-gatherer skills, no longer important. No longer. That's why we've had to develop a fucking sense of humor. And we're better for it. We are. We are all the better (laughs) for it. That is true. Because it seems like a lot of the people that haven't developed that yet that are still hunter-gatherer mindsets are fucking pricks. They're absolute assholes. (laughs) 
Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. I got my brain. You're brawn. You're a well-read, intelligent person who has a thirst for love and knowledge. Give me some of that brain. You love learning new things and traveling to new places. People in your life always ask for your advice or opinion because you're known hmm. to have a unique take on every situation or problem. I, I mean, back that's it. That's pretty true. I back yeah. it. You're one of them smart fellers. You're a pretty fart smeller. Yeah. I don't know that people come to me for advice and opinions a whole lot, but when they do... I do. I, hey, all right. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I think my wife does some from time to time. All right, then. Mostly it's unsolicited opinion. Check out the brain on Steve, huh? Oh, look I, at that. I Bulge in his head. We're funny. We're brainy. We're dead and lovely. Yeah. Look at us. Welcome to us. And now welcome to our take on Stan Kubricki's <laughs> classic piece of cinema yeah. that's shining from 1980. Now, yeah. Steve, let me ask you, first of all, when's yeah. the first time that you watched this movie? I saw this as a kid, but that Kinder time kid. is kind of unimportant. Okay. Um, because it was during a time when we just watched a ton of movies. And I remember thinking it was unique. Yeah. I was probably like 12 or 13 mm-hmm. when we saw this. Uh, thinking it was unique and thinking it was interesting, but not really getting it and not having the brain to get it at that sure, time. Yeah. I don't think when you're that young, you can possibly understand. Well, that was before you were sexy. It was way before yeah. then. I didn't even have a brain. I hadn't picked one out yet. Wow. Yeah. Um, the second time I saw this is the most important. Which <laughs> when is? it really hit me. Okay. Um, when I was 19 and I was, um, what do you call it? Tripping balls. <laughs> I've heard it called like, that. To the the largest degree. Wow. Just the so degree. heavily tripping. Omega level. That I realized this is one of the greatest movies ever made and that I would never understand it. I have entirely. never tripped balls before, but I can yeah. only imagine what it must be like seeing this in, an, in a truly altered state. Yeah. But actually, <laughs> I did this because... Um, I did this because the second time I saw 2001 A Space Odyssey, yeah. I was tripping. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, I must not be able to get Stanley Kubrick's movies unless I'm on LSD. Yeah. Turns out it was just, I didn't get it earlier because I was 13. Now I'm a little bit older. I'm starting to get it. Might have something to do with it. But the LSD certainly didn't hurt. It certainly wasn't a, a yeah. bad excuse to give it a the old college try. Man, I just remember... The, I remember because it was just as I think we'd taken the acid probably about an hour and a half before. Okay. And so you were with people. Yeah. Okay. And I was already sort of feeling it. But as it just started and it was like, boom, boom, boom. My brain yeah. was just like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You felt, your, this? you felt your third eye open. Yeah. Like and you were what, at a Tool concert. Exactly. <laughs> the, the music <laughs> just like ripped me apart. Like yeah. I could feel it everywhere. And I was just like, this is insane. Yes. And like every single shot is so perfectly composed. It's insane. There's so many yeah. moments that it's just like, how is a human being conveying this with just their face? Like, yes, absolutely um, so. And now, like, the thing is that now I can see that well away from having taken any hallucinogens. Now I can look at that and see that and go, that wasn't hallucinogens. That really was just my that brain good. being yeah. like, this is that good. Like, Wow. <sighs> That's awesome, yeah, man. I love it. So you would recommend good. giving it a shot that way? Oh, yeah. I'd rather... If well, you're if you're open to it, if you're open yeah, to it. well, and also if you if you know that you're mentally 
stable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't recommend hallucinogens to anyone who doesn't feel that they're mentally stable or doesn't feel that they're in a good yeah place. If you want a, a word of advisory, look up Richard Chase. Sure. Look up somebody who's yeah. not quite together and yeah. did a, a ton yeah. of, of acid. And then didn't, it didn't work didn't out great. Well. Didn't work out great for the world. No. Yeah. No. But yeah, we, um, if, if you're a relatively mentally healthy, man, fucking go for it. It's yeah, a real yeah. fun time and it'll teach you a lot about yourself. Wow, man. But uh, yeah, I, 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 I remember that moment, just the opening of it. Really changing everything about the way my brain works immediately. Just like I understand things now. Wow. I'm not just some idiot. So I mean, it- I still was. <laughs> I can think of a million things I've done since I was 19 that were idiotic. Yeah, but I felt a little bit more mature at that moment. Was it instantly like one of your favorites? Where you like, yes. this is one of the greatest of all yeah. time. Yeah, which didn't happen. Say with 2001, the second time I watched it. it wasn't until the third time I watched 2001, completely sober and had been sober for a long time that I was like, oh, this is a great movie. But with The Shining, at that moment, immediately it was like, oh, this is one of the best movies ever. Wow, and. It still holds true in my head. Like every time I watch it, it is still one of the best movies ever made. I never get tired of it. Like I, no. I never get tired of this movie. There's never, there's never once been a time that I've watched this, and I've watched this movie dozens of times. Yeah, where I've started it and been like, yeah, this isn't really what I wanted to see. <laughs> no, you, ever do you that have Netflix? to finish it. Yeah, you have to finish. You have it. to. Yeah, it's never the wrong time for me. I do that all the time with movies, by the way, especially with horror movies, because yeah. like I'll give anything a shot. Sure. I'll be like, you know, Hell House LLC. Shout out to that movie. Yeah. Uh, watched it. Try. Pretty good. Yeah. It was pretty good. The, um, the first time that I saw this. Yeah. Okay. So it was 2003. It yeah. was whenever uh, Kate was living in New York, going to college up there. Yeah. 2003. New York strong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I had gone up there to, to spend a week with her. I think it might have been for Thanksgiving or something like that. Or it might have just been during the summer. I can't remember which time it was. I think it was during the summer mm-hmm. so i flew up there at that point i would have been maybe 20 something like that okay. and she was like taking a shower or something like that and i was just scrolling through the channels on the tv killing time yeah and i just happened to stumble across they were showing it on you know tbs or whatever okay and i had just picked up on the movie right where Wendy is running through the hotel at the very end and oh, all hell is breaking Bad loose. time to pick up. Yeah. And the soundtrack is going like insane. Nuts. Yeah. I turn it on. I had no idea it was. And again, that was before I really watched horror movies. Right. And so I started watching this thing and you know, Kate's done. She gets out of the shower. I'd been watching for maybe a minute at that point. And I'm like, what is this? I have no idea what I'm watching. <laughs> and she's like, holy shit, this is the shining. You've never seen this. And she like immediately turns the TV off. Got to watch she's like, it. Yeah, she's from like, the you can't just yeah. you can't just watch the end of this. You know, this is one of the best of all time. You yeah. have to watch this whole movie. And we were talking about this yesterday. I can't remember if if we had plans and we canceled them. I would, or if we just made the decision <laughs> to do this this day. But it's like we stopped what we were doing. We went to the Blockbuster, which is around the corner. Yeah, that's when Blockbusters were still around. Right, two thousand three. Uh-huh rented it probably for eight dollars came back and watched it yeah and i was instantly like 100 percent obsessed with this movie like from yeah. the first time that i watched it i was like this is true horror mm-hmm. this is actually caught on film terrifying shit and it has been 
an obsession of mine ever since. It's like it's yeah. all it's always been my number one favorite. I've never found anything that will dethrone it uh, so far. You know, I mean, yeah. there's there's some some all time heavyweight champs and stuff. Obviously, Texas Chainsaw. Yeah, I mean, I love the original Halloween and right. uh, and, and all kind of Hereditary. And Hereditary stuff like is that. amazing. Yeah, but The Shining is. I think because it's so flawless and you can analyze it, it from really so is. many different ways and it has so many of my personal horror buttons built into it with the isolation and stuff and the soundtrack, they're, they're, everything about this movie I love. Mm. So as soon as I watched it, I became obsessed with it. And then probably about five or six years ago, I was on tour uh, playing guitar for Whitechapel. Right. And we were at the Blue Moose which I think is a venue in, damn, maybe Iowa? Somebody's listening right now like, it's fucking Detroit! I know, right? <laughs> I think it was in Iowa City. Okay. I might be wrong about that, but it was the Blue Moose Tavern. And it was one of the rare venues on the tour that had Wi-Fi. Oh. And I had a ton of downtime to kill that day, and there wasn't anything much to go around and do. So I just got on my iPad, and I hooked it to the Wi-Fi, and I just started looking up, I don't know, the shining meaning. Oh man! Yeah, that's and, did it break Google? Yeah, that I mean, seems like the type of thing that Google would be like. I apologize, but exactly all the answers, yeah. all of them, they're all. And that's when I started becoming like obsessed about this movie for the like second or third time. Yeah, is then and there, and we'll talk about some of those some of those meanings and theories and stuff oh, as yeah, we go we'll along and stuff. Of course, here as well, but. Yeah, this has always been one of my absolute favorite movies, and it is my favorite horror movie of all time. And, of course, a lot of that has to do with Stanley Kubrick's unbelievable direction yeah, that he it put was, into this. Uh, yeah, I think he's he's everything. I mean, he chose the music. Yeah. Like, we're not talking about a music director coming up with all that great stuff that fits perfectly with his direction. Yeah. He chose it. Now, right. a, a wonderful musical editor put it together in a perfect way. But he chose the music. He basically did all of the choices for the actors. Yeah. Um, he he made everything his own. Right. And then... A true visionary. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the thing is that the vision is, was such that... Like, there's no way for him to convey it to other people. Right. He just has to pull it out of them. Yeah, exactly. And and so, like, we'll talk about it more, but, I mean, definitely, like, you know, there was some mistreatment of actors and, and, and stuff like that, but, like, it was like Kubrick knew what this movie was going to be before he ever shot it. Right. Like, he could see that vision, and so, you know, he'll do 127 takes because he knows exactly how it should look. Yeah, everything and, you're seeing is exactly as it was intended. Yeah. Right. So you don't see any mistakes in this. You don't see any slight glitches or moments where somebody catches the camera or whatever. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's all, it seems so real because of that. And yeah. because of the fact that he really did drive these people crazy. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a big part of it. And yeah. that, that goes into some of the stuff we talked about, like... Uh, with The Exorcist and other yeah. flicks of directors blatantly driving their actors yeah, to the breaking point. I don't know about the ethics of it. I, I yeah. mean, it, I think I've said this before. Texas Chainsaw the same way. Yeah, yeah, I think I've said this before. If if the actors know, they sign up for it. If they know this could happen, yeah, then yeah, it's fine. Right. But in this case, I don't like Shelley Duvall. She was just a sweet girl. Like yeah. she had only had a few roles up to this point. I mean, she has said that working with Stanley Kubrick was she learned the most from working with him. Right. But also, it 
drove her insane. Like she, yeah. she had her I mean, hair I, falling out. She yeah. was like sick. Yeah, for months, for months like, on end. Yeah, and, and now I mean, bless her heart, she seems to have really kind of come unglued. Yeah, I don't you know, know if uh, he know caused if that. Yeah, yeah, I don't know that he caused that, but she definitely like she was. If there was a crack in the eggshell, that definitely yeah. didn't help. Yeah, you know. And apparently the way that, that Kubrick kind of came into directing this was interesting. So he was a, a voracious reader mm-hmm. and read everything. And I'm was, glad you're saying this because we didn't talk about this before, but this is a yeah, cool story. Like Apparently he would just pick up random books. He's mm-hmm. like, there's so many books out there to read. I'll just read any of them. Yeah. And one of the ones that he came across was Stephen King's The Shining. Yeah, his um, his uh, secretary told the story yeah. that she would just bring in piles of books to him. Yeah. And... Uh, she said that uh, one day for hours on end she would just hear thunk thunk yeah thunk and it was just him he would open and read the first page and if it didn't catch him he would just throw it really Um, and then she said she noticed after a while she hadn't heard it (laughs) the thunking stopped yeah the thunking had stopped and she opened the door to see what he was doing and he was reading The Shining and he was just engrossed in it so like yeah, it's something had to really catch him. He had it probably had to be he had to see from the first sentence how he could make it his own. Yeah, well, like the, if the, something the, was, the first sentence is basically like Stuart Ullman was a prick. Is the first sentence. <laughs> that's in the a book. good first sentence. <laughs> it's not bad. Really. Yeah, it is pretty good. And you know, apparently, I I read an interview, or I think I listened to an interview earlier actually, where he was saying part of his interest was he's always been really fascinated by ESP. Yeah, you know, that is very fascinating. And telekinesis and stuff like that. I so. wish it were real. Right. Like, that would be the coolest thing <laughs> in the world. would be pretty sick. I really wish that we could have superpowers. I'd be jealous, though, if I didn't have it. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'd be fucking muggle pissed. Yeah. <laughs> why like, not me? Damn it. Like, that's why the muggles didn't know anything about the wizards, because they were like, fuck, if they know about us, they'll always just be pissed all the time. Right. Like, you can do that, and I can't. It fucking sucks. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this about Stanley Kubrick, because I know that there's there's a lot of people out there mm-hmm. that are just mega Kubrick maniacs. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I have watched The Shining a million times. Yeah. I have watched Clockwork Orange. Okay. I've watched Space Odyssey, but I think I was like 10 when I saw it. I need to see it again. I'd watch that one again, yeah. Yeah, I definitely need to. I've seen Eyes Wide Shut. Okay. I saw that in the theater. Yeah. Um And was very confused as a 17 year old like yeah. what the fuck but now it's makes much more sense and full metal jacket oh man that one's brutal which is awesome i think those i think that's the only movies of his i've seen well you're not missing much i've I not mean, seen Lolita. have you seen dr strange though nope i've heard that's really good you should see it stop let's stop recording now okay. see you later we're back you loved it i loved it yeah <laughs> dr strange love is great i've heard um, so good Lolita, very interesting. Barry Lyndon is a very Never slow tale. If you're into 18th century literature, though, you might like it. I've heard it called the best boring movie of all time. It really is. <laughs> In the probably. category of boring movies, yeah. it's kind of the best For one. people who like that stuff, like I studied 18th century British lit. Yeah. For me, it's like, this is great, but I really? get why it would bore the shit out of anybody. I've seen stills of it that look gorgeous. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Um, what you may not know is he directed Spartacus. Okay, yeah. yeah Maybe was, I've seen Spartacus. Um, he was not the original director. Okay. The first guy was fired after a week, then they brought Stanley Kubrick on. Yeah. Um, he also did some other stuff. He, he did like an anti-war um, documentary that kind of caught him his first attention. Yeah. Um, 
But really, yeah, like the stuff you named, those are his big kind things. Of best have, ones. have you seen A Clockwork Orange? Yeah, yeah, it was on the okay, list. Okay, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, like he he kind of did his own thing. Yeah. And he's a, in a lot of ways he's like um like George Romero. Mm-hmm. You know, George Romero never really, he really just if he couldn't do it the way he wanted to do it, he just wouldn't do it. Right. And that's how Stanley Kubrick was. If he couldn't have complete control over it, it's like, well, I'm not interested. Yeah, he was one of the few directors to have complete mm-hmm. top to bottom say on yeah. how everything was going. So yeah. what you see is not the result of my idea being watered down by my producer that wanted yeah. me to do it this way or they couldn't sell a McDonald's toy, so I changed it. Yeah. It's 100%. This is what I envisioned. Some things you should know about him. He okay. was a certifiable genius. IQ of around 200. Holy fuck, yeah. that is high. It's extremely high. Good um, lord, man. To to raise money for his early documentary short efforts, he would play people in chess yeah. in um, the Central Park really? for a quarter a game. And just mutilate them? Just dominate what? people. Yeah, huh. absolutely. Um, he... When he started as a photographer, yeah. and when he decided to start doing film... He he was such a student of everything he did. He just started calling like film distributors and stuff and asking them what the difference was between each different type of film and each different type of lens. Wow. And just taking obsessive notes yeah. and reading everything written about learner. like making film and stuff. Absolutely just wanted to he had to know everything. Yeah. Like a complete perfectionist with a, a pure vision of everything he wanted to do. And if it wasn't in his vision, he didn't give a shit about it. Like, yeah. just completely obsessed. But he also wasn't very good with people. <laughs> like, I would say so. I yeah. mean, be, just being that fucking intelligent yeah. can probably be a curse because it's probably hard to relate to anybody. Yeah, absolutely. He he spoke, you know, uh, didn't look a lot, people in the eye a lot when he would speak. Yeah. Um, it, one of the things I... <laughs> heard in one of the documentaries i watched which was uh staircases to nowhere i haven't seen which is uh with interviews with people who worked in his crew so like camera operators and okay um you know the uh second unit director and stuff like that people who were close to him and had some idea of what his vision was and all of them would agree they didn't know everything that he was doing like he kept it all to himself wow and he pretty much interacted with actors through the monitor. Like mm. he would look at the monitor and they would be talking to him and he would be talking to the monitor. Like he saw Whoa. life almost like it through the fit camera into the camera. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Very that interesting guy. See, he's always been one of those cats to me that, uh, you know, I could draw a lot of parallels to like, let's say a band like tool. Yeah. Where, okay. Yes. Tool, Tool is fucking genius. They're amazing players, sure. extremely unique. Mm-hmm. But somewhere along the lines, Maynard or somebody in an interview said, we're really smart and we hide things. And so then all the fans yeah. go, oh my God, there's so much stuff hidden in, in yeah. absolutely everything. If you look at the top left corner of this record right. cover, it's got the letter <laughs> R, which stands for, you know, it's like yeah, they go nuts and they see into it because the person in charge said, hey, I'm smart. Mm-hmm. And so then people go nuts thinking that everything I think, means something is deliberate. And Kubrick is one of those guys who I wonder, is it like that? Is it no. like, because we know this stuff about how fucking smart he was and all that jazz, do we just look into everything because we know the legends of how, how many shots he did of stuff and how mm-hmm. deliberate he was? 
Or is it really like that? I think it's really like that. I think that he, because he had the overall macro vision and then the micro vision for how he wanted each individual shot to look, that he had even further microscopic vision to not only do I want the shot to look this way, but I want this can label to be out and behind this person's head specifically. I want it like that. And if it's not like that, the shot is not right. Right. I think he was very specific and deliberate about everything he did. I don't think that he wanted us to think there was one answer. Mm, I think that he, genius brained, saw things as having a million different answers. He saw things as being very open to interpretation. And he thought, well, if there's no expression, there's no interpretation. Right. So if I don't make this deliberate, yeah. no one can interpret. Nobody will ever know for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because a lot of the things, and again, we'll go into this later, but a lot of the, the ideas that people have about what this movie could be about, a lot of them just seem to be based on very, very on-the-nose, right. very deliberate-ass yeah. things. And it's yeah. like, I don't think you'd be that... I think, unsubtle you yeah. know what I mean and I have a theory about the movie that is not about the entire movie okay. that I'll get into later when I'll we talk about that, those yeah. theories but I think that what happens when people get into theories about Stanley Kubrick movies is that they think that the small thing they found is a microcosm of the whole movie and it might just be a, it might a little just thing a tiny little thing you right. know, it might it, just be a small thing he was expressing it doesn't mean that that's what the whole fucking movie is right. about you can express a million things within one expression. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. Interesting. So you're saying you do think that he is as deliberate and yes. intelligent and subversive is what a lot of right. people say. I, again, I need to watch more movies and analyze them to really yeah. understand that. But it's like the more you learn about this movie, the more you do start to drink that Kool-Aid and mm-hmm. go, okay, yeah, really. He, he really yeah, he was <laughs> that fucking smart. Now, this adaptation was famously famously criticized by the original author, Stephen (laughs) King, who likened it to a a fancy car with no motor in it. Mm. Like, he hated the movie adaptation. And I don't know, what do you think about that kind of criticism? Because there's been a lot of King adaptations that he's praised that have been piles of shit. I think what's going on here is that this his book was written in 1977. Yeah. At that point, Stephen King was a name, but yeah. he wasn't Stephen King. Yeah, he, he was a guy who had written books you may have heard of. Yeah. Like if Carrie somebody said his like name, you might even go like, who's that again? Right. Um, but this book, The Shining, is extremely autobiographical. It's very close to Stephen King. This was written while he was yeah. in his turbo alcoholic phase, yep. and it's about a guy who's an alcoholic. And his he, his father was an alcoholic, and he, he dealt with... Like, some of these Which issues are... Which is in the book. That's own, not in the movie, but yeah. it is in the book. Yeah. yeah, some of this stuff is him dealing with his own issues, dealing with issues from his past, etc. Yeah. It's very personal to him. And Kubrick doesn't have time for your sentimentality. No. Uh-uh. He, he had a vision from the thing you said. Like, it's almost like you could eliminate the shining yeah. title and eliminate the connection with the book. Because to him, all you said was an idea that he ran with. Like, right. He wasn't obsessed with your book. He was obsessed with an idea in your book. And that ties into uh, a theory that I have about all this okay. stuff, too, for sure. But Definitely yeah, so. I think I think that uh, Stephen King is probably rightfully a little angry about it still to this day. That but it was a he personal project, is what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, yeah, that he didn't get any sort of input 
and that they didn't take his uh, input. But I'll tell you this. Stanley Kubrick's making a movie and Stephen King wants to have some input? No. No. Give it <laughs> no. to Kubrick. I can name Hand a movie that over. Stephen King has had input into that's good. That'd be like me jumping into a car with Dale Earnhardt and me being like, no, nah, I'm driving. <laughs> Try right. Get back here, Dale. Why do you keep taking all these lifts? Give me the keys. <laughs> Intimidator my ass. And he's all corpse. Yeah. yeah. It's weird that you dug him up and put him in his car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now you were telling me earlier that, well, well, of course, you know, King did his, what was it, 97 TV adaptation yeah, the, of this? the miniseries but where... that was based on conditions, right? It was. So, yeah, Kubrick, um, King had been talking shit about Kubrick's adaptation. Very for openly. Very openly. Yeah. Like, just... Hate, hate, hate. Shitting on Solly. it. Solly. And so... Uh, because Kubrick's company still had some rights to The Shining when Stephen King wanted to make his 97 Shining miniseries. Yeah. He had to go to Kubrick to sort of get the sign off. And Kubrick made the one condition that he stopped talking shit about Jeez. The Shining. And by the way, King wouldn't just give him that. King would get he gave him that he would stop talking shit about it, except that he would continue talking shit about them casting Jack Nicholson what the fuck? In that role. Because he really hated Jack Nicholson in that role. Not that he disliked Jack Nicholson, but yeah. he really hated him in that role. He wanted more of like an everyman. Yeah. And if you look at the list of people he wanted. Oh, it's crazy. John Voight. I could maybe. Say. Maybe. Possibly. Maybe. Christopher Reeve. No. No. Not Superman? Superman, please. Superman. No. No. Michael Moriarty. From fucking Scanners? No, not even that. Michael Moriarty from absolutely nothing you've ever heard of. Jeez. He was just a guy who had been in TV movies up to that point. Wow. Stephen King's casting decisions are suspect is what I'm saying. I heard Robin Williams was in the Oh, yeah, those were people that the studio wanted considered, like Robert De Niro, Robin Williams. Harrison Ford. What the fuck? I can't imagine I can't, anybody no, but Jack I can't Nicholson. see any of them. The closest of them would have been Robin Williams, but I don't think he could have been serious enough. That's what I was going to say is you got to think. At that time. No. Like yeah. later days, Robin sure, Williams, yeah. abso-fucking-lutely. I mean, Rob, like, the thing is, if Robin Williams in 1980 could have tapped into the darkness inside of him, he could have easily yeah, done this role But he great. was so coked out. So coked up, he would have never been able to do no, it. No, this movie, I don't think he would have had the right tone for it. Yeah. I think, like you said, later in life, yes. But yeah. 1979, when De Niro started filming, would have no. been terrible, I think. I don't not think that, that would have worked. Not that De Niro's ever bad. It's just no. he's not. he doesn't fit that role no, at all. No, I don't think so either. And Harrison Ford, he's too cool. Yeah, exactly. No, I can't see that Jack either. Nicholson's cool, and he still comes off as fucking... You know, that's the thing, I guess, kind of that's awesome about Jack Nicholson in this role is that Jack Nicholson is cool and funny yeah. in this movie. You still yeah. think of him at times like he's a cool guy, but then it's like, oh, right, he's trying to axe murder his family. Yeah. <laughs> that's not as cool as you would want it to be. Have you ever watched the TV series? No. I heard it's dog shit. It's four and a half hours without commercials. That's pretty long. People that saw it back in the day watched six hours of television to see this story that's a lot i mean this movie's two and a half i want to watch it i do want to watch it i, I was mean, going to leading up to this but 
That's a long time. Fucking four and a half. Yeah. I'd rather watch Room 237 again than watch four and a half hours of yeah, a yeah, yeah. miniseries. Well, it's supposed to follow the book a lot more closely. Yeah. yeah, it was executive produced by Stephen King. It was very much his vision. Yeah. And like I said, I'm, I'm through my, almost through my second reading of the book right now. I'm yeah. doing it on Audible. And the book is the book is fantastic. Oh, like, I believe I it. I yeah. really love the book. Like by the time I read the book the first time, I was already full blown obsessed with the movie for you know eight years or something like yeah. that. And I read the book and I was like, oh man, this is also really good. Like it's actually really good. Of course, it has all of the common Stephen King isms. Yeah, you know, abusive uh, abusive dad mm-hmm. writer, yeah. weak willed, uh-huh. uh, pretty pointless female characters. Kids that don't talk like kids at all. Yeah. It's got all those things, but it's very compelling. It is. It's very compelling, okay. and there's a lot of good stuff I'll in the book. I'll have to check that out. I would recommend it for I sure. Really, I really do need to breed some Stephen King. Like. Well, well, plus a lot of the backstory and stuff about the Overlook Hotel itself is yeah. revealed in the book, as well as a lot of That's things about all the characters Actually, one past. of the things Stephen King does masterfully yeah. is providing this deep, rich backstory to his world. Yeah. Like, I, I don't care as much about his characters as I do about his backstories. Yeah, sure. Like, if you read it, I mean, if, if you got a year yeah, you go through that, um, like, the backstory that he gives about Pennywise and these ancient elder gods and stuff is yeah, all yeah. so fucking interesting. No and there's no way to film it. No. There's impossible. no way to put it in a movie. No. Yeah, and that is the thing that Kubrick did so well, too, with this, is he saw a lot of the stuff in the book that would be like, yeah, I can't show that, yeah. and just sidestepped it. Like, there's mm-hmm. a big thing in the book where... Well, in the book, there's no maze. Yeah. There's well, no hedge maze. There's that's these, important to my theory about it. But. Yeah. <laughs> there's these topiary animals that come uh, to life. And that's the, weird. Yeah, and the way it's described in the book is actually pretty cool. It's okay. actually, like, pretty, pretty spooky, where these things are kind of like... It almost reminds me of uh, what are those things in Doctor Who? The statues that can get oh. up on you if you're not looking at them. Yeah, the the weeping angels. Yeah, 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 uh-huh. yeah. It's kind of like that, where it's oh. like suddenly, what the hell? That thing's closer to me. What the hell? Its paws raised. You know, it's it's played off pretty well. That's pretty cool. But it would have been probably dumb as shit to show, because especially at the end of the book, like uh, Dick Halloran is like attacked by the hedge animals. Oh gosh, there'd have been no way to show that <laughs> in in 1980 and make it yeah. look cool. So. Stanley, I do think, cherry-picked certain ideas mm-hmm. and motifs from the book. And like you said, I think fixated on his own concept of what they were about rather yeah. than trying to do an accurate representation of the book. Yeah, I saw some of his marginalia, the stuff he wrote in the margins of his edition of The Shining. Oh, yeah? And it's like, yeah, he seemed to be more interested in the idea that the house could also be telepathic. Yeah. Like that a, that a location, that telepathy... Sick telepathy was like a wavelength and that not only could people but the objects could vibrate out it. Yeah. and stuff that's pretty cool yeah that's way interesting i love that idea yeah so i don't know this is one of those things where like we talked about with other book to movie adaptations love each one for what it is yeah don't expect one to be a direct copy of the other. What's the point? If yeah. you want the book, read the fucking book. Yeah, that that is, I guess, my only real like problem with, with King uh, saying that this is a bad version is just like, you know, like, you're good at books. You're not good at movies. Like, when yeah. you've done movies, they're not good. Right. 
and the people aren't maximum you, overdrive. Yeah, people aren't telling you they're bad because they're jealous of you or they yeah. want to be dicks. They're telling you they're bad because they think that you have a good mind and you could make a good movie. Yeah. You just don't get the way a movie's made. Yeah, exactly. You got to stay in your lane, dude. It's like, sure, yeah. I can never write drum parts as cool as a really good drummer. Right. I'm a guitar player. Fucking stay in my lane. Yeah. Let a drummer do the drumming stuff. Uh-huh. He's had a lifetime of working on that skill to do it. Yeah. You know? I think I think King stuff does work better as television, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Castle Rock, you weren't a big fan of the ending of season one. I liked one, it up to the end. But, but yeah. up to the end, you liked it. Yeah. Like, I think, I think a lot of that stuff... Like, cause you in uh, a television show, you can go into tangents. Totally. And you can go you into the ten weird hours shit. on it. Sure, yeah, you know? for sure. Yeah. If you read the book too, you'll start to notice that there's things in the movie that are subtle cues to stuff that's in the book as well. So, oh, okay, it's not as if Stephen King or sorry Kubrick just completely trashed the book and right. said whatever. I'm doing my own thing with it. There's subtle stuff like uh, Jack Torrance in the book used to be a teacher uh-huh. at this place called Stovington Academy. Okay. Which in the movie, in the scene where he sits up in bed and eats his breakfast, you know, uh-huh. he's wearing a Stovington Academy shirt. Oh, okay. Never noticed. Yeah. In the book, he used to teach at that place and was fired because he beat up one of the students. Okay. So he's got an anger problem in the... Yeah, in the, exactly. Okay. And, and, and was an alcoholic and always coming into work drunk and all this kind of stuff. Right. There's apparently a couple of characters from the book that had scenes filmed for the movie, but they ended up getting cut... Yeah, the well, uh, we should point out that there was a there was an ending to this that yeah Kubrick had cut five days after it was released. So so in they other words, had the to original like, ending was in theaters for five days, and some yeah. people saw it. Yeah, and, and that's like God, that's crazy. Well, I mean, this movie was critically not well received. Tell me about that ending real quick. The ending was the um uh Danny and. Wendy. Uh, Wendy are in a hospital yeah. and being checked out, and then some cops come in and say that they didn't find her husband's body. The body was like gone. Yeah, okay. and everybody, this is everybody, very logically said, well, "We saw him frozen at the end. Like, yeah, where did it go? Right, like yeah. that doesn't make any sense. That just undercuts everything that." Like it's more interesting that his body is there, and we also see him in the photograph. The photo, yeah. Um, and then the ball, like the the red rubber ball, like rolls into the room or some shit at the end, right? Yeah, I think so. There's I want to say I read that somewhere. Yeah. But yeah, there there was a little bit longer ending. And yeah, Stanley Kubrick realized five days after that it didn't work, and then that's so weird. I mean, considering again this deliberate, meticulous genius mind, yeah, it's kind of weird because that ending is kind of shot. It is, you know, to yeah, be like, the idea oh, that the body's they're... gone. They're in the hospital. Like, yeah, that's pretty lame, actually. That is, and should have never gone out for sure. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I wonder why that happened, but we'll never know because apparently there was a ton of other stuff filmed yeah. for this movie, and all of the unused footage was destroyed, intentionally destroyed. Yeah, like not like there's a fire in the studio and they lost them. No, it was intentionally yeah destroyed. That way we will never know, which yeah, is frustrating. That and, is frustrating and cool. It is cool and cool. Yeah, that, I mean that is why I like I refuse to study Stanley Kubrick's life too much because yeah. I want him to be a mystery. Right. Yeah. Like I don't want Leave I don't want way. to know specifics about him because then I'll be like, oh, I see that in this movie now. Now it's all just about his uncle yelling at him when he was 14. Right. Like, I don't want that. I want it to be like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and that, yeah, that ending kind of undercuts the whole what the fuck of the whole movie. But I just learned recently during the research for this episode that when it came out, it was not immediately it was loved. poorly received. That is yeah. beyond insane to me. It it's was like, nominated for two Razzies for worst actress. Impossible. And worst director. What in the fuck was going on that people were thinking that? Like, I don't to know. Me, that Let's is look back impossible. at 1980. Were all movies perfect then? <laughs> like, I don't think was so. Was that a year of perfect movies? No. No. I don't know what they were thinking. Like That's it, it really was just one of those things. Like We still probably get it today. I mean, we talked about it with The Thing, where yeah. The Thing was poorly received. Oh, sure, yeah. And now it's considered a horror classic. This is now considered one of the greatest horror movies, if not one of the greatest movies of all time. Yeah. And at the time, people were like, this is stupid. I remember when Human Clay by Creed came out, and people were like, it's nowhere near as good. And now we go back and we listen to it. And now we realize, yeah, it is terrible. It is. It's it's worse than we ever thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's but you know that's kind of more like Pinkerton syndrome, where Pinkerton came out by Weezer and people fucking hated it. Yeah. Like crushed that band, yeah. ruined their career. And now we look back and we're like, oh wait, no, it's actually perfect. Yeah. So weird. It so is weird, strange. Man. Like, it's almost like it doesn't pay off to think too far ahead. Yeah, yeah. Like if you're thinking too far ahead, if you're too perfect in the in the art game. Yeah everyone's just gonna laugh at you so like, bizarre they're all gonna laugh at you oh. no, they're all gonna laugh at you alright so one of the the real keys mm-hmm. to making this movie awesome is the cast it is it is an extremely small cast it's yeah mostly just four people yeah we may, mostly got Jack Wendy Danny and Dick yeah those are our four main characters and of course you got some supplementary dudes Stuart like Ullman, Ullman yeah. and a couple of the doctor and yeah. stuff like that um, but our main four characters in this movie, I, I do not think could have been cast or played their roles any better. Any better. No, I really don't think so. Let's start with Shelley Duvall Gosh. playing the role of Wendy Torrance, who yeah. was just for one, obviously born to be olive oil. She was, and she played olive oil in this very year, 1980 in Robert Altman's Popeye opposite Robin Williams. Yeah. Right after she did this movie. So that is a weird movie. It is a weird movie, yeah. And apparently the entire making of it was just like one huge fucking coke-fueled orgy. <laughs> the making of that movie, if you've ever heard stories about That's it... That's awesome. Dude, it was like Sodom and Gomorrah off awesome. camera, apparently. That's great. That's how all all the world should be. That's how Popeye should always be. Yeah. <laughs> he likes to go swimming. With bow-legged women? <laughs> Or butt naked women. I yeah, either heard. one, yeah. depending on which school. If you went to or, Morristown, East or West. Yeah, or he turns up the heater and blows off his Peter. <laughs> I've heard that one. Yeah, I don't see what the correlation there. I don't be. either. I don't get that one at all. No, it's warm in here. Oh, my dick's off. Ah, um, spinach. I don't know. Hakaka. Hakaka. So Shelley Duvall in this, you know, again going back to the book changes in the book, Wendy was a, a blonde, athletic, gorgeous woman who was quite a lot more strong-willed and stood up to her husband hmm. quite a lot more. Okay. And I have heard her role in this called one of the most misogynist roles of all time because in hmm. this movie she is quite simpering and abused and running around flailing her arms and crying the whole time. Yeah. I mean, ultimately she does fucking stand up to her husband and yeah. beat him with a bat to protect her kid and I cut him with a knife and stuff. I think at an appropriate moment as well. Yeah. Because up to, like, I think a lot of people always do this with, with horror movies. They think, 
Well, I'd know I was in a horror movie. No, yeah, you yeah, yeah. No, no. <laughs> what do you mean? Like your husband is acting like a dick toward you. You know what I just thought of too? If you really think about it on in terms of like on screen on screen acts of violence. Yeah. Actually she commits more than Jack. Yes. Like Jack kills Scatman, that's one uh-huh. act of violence, but she hits him with the bat and cuts him with a knife. Yeah. Like she's actually more aggressive. Yeah, she's willing and the able. Stats don't lie. But it's her husband. Yeah. Like you wouldn't mean like the, if my wife started acting funny, I wouldn't be like time to kill this bitch. Yeah, exactly right. I right, would right. be like, oh no. Um, what I can I do? Yeah. To, like I I think she acts appropriately. I don't right. think that there's anything weak about her character. Yeah. I think that she she sees her situation first off. Yeah. Where's she gonna go? Right. Yeah. She's fucking stuck. Yeah. What is she gonna do? Second off, he's just acting a little bit like a dick. Like, yeah. I mean, honestly, I think some people would point to the scene where he's like, "If you hear me typing, yeah. whatever the fuck, fuck you I'm hear doing. me doing, <laughs> yeah." Like a lot of people God, would see that, that and be like, "Oh no, I would leave my husband." And it's yeah. like, man, have you ever had an argument like, like that? Uh, yeah, he was over the top. Came on strong. He came on strong, but it's something like he's very passionate about. She knows it. She she also is like, she's not wrong. Yeah. Like, she's not wrong in the situation. She knows like he's upset and she mm-hmm. doesn't respond. She doesn't fight back because she's like, you know what? He'll get past this. He'll yeah, feel yeah. better later. We'll talk about it. I'll just leave the room right now. Right. Like, any of those moments you could think like, yeah, that I would leave my husband at that moment. No, you wouldn't. First mm. off, where'd you? Where would you go? You're yeah, in the you're middle of nowhere. Right. You are stranded. Yeah. And second off, you've been with him for this long. Like you're willing to put up with. He's had a cranky day, mm-hmm. and he's yelling at me a little bit. It's not optimal. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that like it's a great relationship. It's no. real shitty. Yeah. He's being very shitty to her. He's right. probably verbally abusive to her. Before they get up there. Yeah. It does seem like on the drive up there that he's just had it with his family already. There's subtle there's subtle stuff that they put in there, too, that does kind of give her a little bit of a, I don't know how you'd say, you know, a, a beaten dog kind of, yeah. kind of demeanor. Where, like, even the scene at the very first where she's talking to the doctor yeah. about what happened whenever Jack hurt Danny. Yeah, she's really, like... Trying to defend him a lot. Yeah. When she goes to light her cigarette, her hands shaking. Her hands shaking. It looks at first like if you don't pay enough attention, it looks at first like the the actress Shelley Duvall. Yeah. Is just not acting well. Right. But when you notice that her hand is actually shaking, it's like oh she's like she's scared about something. Well, and even her her word choice and stuff is very carefully chosen yep. and very deliberate. That speaks yeah. of somebody who's rationalizing abuse that's happening around yep. him. Like whenever she talks about Jack hurting Danny's arm, she even deflects it verbally. I'm trying to remember yeah. exactly what she says. Like she says, she's like, it's just something you do any old day. Like well, you grab a child and he just yeah. uses too much energy or whatever. Well, there's that, there's that part, and then it's even more subtle. Where like when she talks about the actual injury, she says, again, I can't remember exactly the the verbiage here, but she says like, uh, and then the the arm was hurt. It's yeah. something like that. Where okay. it's not he hurt Danny, right? It's that Jack hurt the arm. Right. It kind of dehumanizes it. Right. You know what I mean? Again, I, w- I wish I could remember exactly what she says right there. It's very carefully chosen, mm-hmm. I think, to kind of give you that mentality that she's trying to deal with and cope with the abuse that's 
yeah. going on around her. Yeah. You know? And you pointed this out to me before and I, or earlier, and I just never noticed this. So she's talking about there how he stopped drinking. Yeah. And she says he hasn't had a drink in five months. Hey there, kids. It's your good buddy, Uncle Ben, here in the editing room. And as I was cutting this episode together and editing it, I noticed that I done fucked some stuff up. In the next sequence here, me and Hollywood Steve talk about some of the discrepancies between when Jack stopped or didn't stop drinking. And I realize now I boogered up who let some of the details slide. In the movie, in the original doctor interview scene there, Wendy kind of dodges around when the accident happened. She just says that it happened, and that's when Tony started appearing, but on the bright side, Jack hasn't had a drink in five months. Now, much later in the movie, whenever Jack is at the Overlook at the bar, he makes the comment about laying his hands on the boy and that it happened three years ago. He's the one that lets it slide that the whole thing happened three years ago. So, again, those are little details that Wendy did not let on to the doctor. The incident happened three years ago, but Jack only quit drinking five months ago. And, again, there's the discrepancy later on whenever Jack says, here's the five miserable months on the wagon. By that point, it would have been more like six months that he hadn't been drinking, unless he was lying to Wendy about when he actually stopped. Interesting stuff. So, yeah, anyway, just wanted to go back and fix that stuff up. Enjoy the rest of the show. Okay, so... She says the injury to Danny happened three yeah. years ago. Yeah. So the doctor is like, when did Tony show up? And she says, well, whenever he had this accident three years right. ago, tells about what happened with Jack. Right. And then she says, but the silver lining is after that, he's not drank a drop. In five months. Yeah. So, but, you know, she says the injury happened three years ago. And then later on, she says he hasn't drank in five months. Yeah. And that is such a discrepancy. Some, it's blatantly yeah. obvious. Yeah, some people point to... There are a number of discrepancies in this movie. Yeah. Some people point to them as like, well, how meticulous could Kubrick have been? I think all of them are intentional. Uh-huh. I think this one is, you're right, very much intentional. Yeah. It is her, like, she's she's trying to hide abuse. She's trying to keep it away from the rest of the world. Yeah, because yeah, she told the doctor... Happened three years ago, and then he stopped drinking. She didn't mention that it was two and a half years later. Yeah, that he's finally stopped drinking. Yeah. yeah. And in the book, there's even more stuff where he accidentally almost like kills this dude that was like crossing the street on a bike when he was Ooh. driving drunk. God like, damn there's it. more. There's more to it in the Every book. Every time I cross the street, I remember that people drink at all oh, God, hours of the day. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah, there's that kind of language that I do think is kind of hidden subtext. Yeah. I don't think that there would be this. Tony appeared three years ago. Jack quit drinking five months ago. Right. Discrepancy. I don't think that that would be there at all. And no. then that gets even more muddled when later on in the movie, whenever Jack goes to the bar. Right. And this is a and month after up. they've been at the hotel. The hotel. Right. right. And he says, here's to five miserable months on the wagon. Right. At that point, it would have been over six. Right. So he's been lying to her. Yeah. Yeah. So... He injured the kid three years ago. He quit drinking two and a half years after that. Yeah. But was actually drinking another month after that. Uh-huh. Then quit. Right. I can't help but think that that's deliberate. I think it all is, yeah. That's simple, simple, simple numbers yeah. at work, and I don't think that that would be a goof. I think that every time there's a discrepancy in The Shining, yeah. it's because someone is lying. Okay. 
It, here's the other discrepancy that people will point to. Okay. That is Stuart Ullman, a.k.a. Jimmy Bond. Yeah, old Jimmy Bond. The first James right. Bond yeah. from Casino the first Royal. Casino Royale. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In America, they call that Casino Quarter Pounder. Casino Quarter Pounder with cheese. <laughs> um, so Stuart Ullman is talking about... During the interview. Grady. Yeah. During the interview. He says, Charles Grady. Yeah, and he talks about Charles Grady chopping up his wife and his two daughters who are eight and ten. Yes. Now, later, we meet two twin girls. Yeah. And we meet a Delbert Grady. Delbert Grady, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think some people think that this means that actually this is uh, uh, Jack's delusion and he's just half remembering things from the past and it's making him sort of invent these things. Okay. That's hence, hence the name change. Right. Yeah. I think Stuart Ullman says it happened when he wasn't there. Yeah. And he, it happened in 1970. Yeah. And he intentionally didn't tell him before he came out for the interview. So Stuart Ullman either doesn't know everything and is just telling what he's heard or he's lying intentionally trying to maybe make sure that he doesn't read the full story Mm. maybe he doesn't seek out this delbert grady instead of charles grady and trying to find out what happens now we know or at least we suspect that he did in fact research delbert grady uh, Jack? Yeah. Yes. Jack did do research on Delbert Grady. Yeah. He does know the truth. Yeah. That it wasn't an eight and a ten year old daughter and his name wasn't Charles. Well, his he name was tells Delbert and they were twins. That, okay, and, and again, this is what gets further confusing about it. And mm-hmm. I, I do think that there's more to unpack here. Okay. Because, again, Ullman tells a story about Charles Grady. Yeah. Later we meet Delbert Grady. Yeah. Right? Okay. Now, Charles Grady killed those people. In 1970. Yes. Delbert Grady doesn't talk like someone from 1970. That's true. Delbert Grady also doesn't talk like somebody... From America. From America. Correct. Yeah. And also beyond that, Jack says, I know you. I've seen your picture in the newspaper. Right. He didn't see a picture of Delbert Grady in the newspaper. Not Not that we saw. Not that we saw. Yeah. But at the same time, there's a picture of... Jack Torrance looking exactly the fucking same in 1920. That's true. So there's something about these pictures and these people's appearances never changing. Yeah. That I think that there's something to that. Okay. You know? Because obviously the Delbert Grady that we meet in the bathroom is not from 1970. Nor is he from America. He does seem... Yeah, because he seems to be a part of this uh, July 4th, 1921 party. Absolutely. And he doesn't recognize himself as ever... Being the caretaker. Well, he's not the caretaker. He's yeah. there serving drinks. Yeah. Yeah. He's not uh, the Avocats. Yeah, avocado. I've never had that. What the I fuck is either. that? He says I, there's egg in it, I guess. I assume, yeah. It was very viscous. Yeah. It stains terribly. I'm sorry, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, Obvious there's so many ways to look at it because like, it is also possible that the twins aren't the daughters that he chopped up. Yeah, because they're... Okay, here's the thing that's confusing. So the daughters were, su- were supposed to be eight and ten. Mm-hmm. The the girls that play him in the movie... They are twins. They are twins, but they're not identical twins. No, one is a little bit taller than the One's other. a little bit taller than the uh-huh. other one. So it's like, they could maybe pass as eight and ten. I don't know. You know, I, it's fishy. I, I like, they could pass as 38 and 40. 
Yeah, but okay. eight and yeah, ten, yeah. there's enough. a pretty huge difference. Fair enough. Yeah. There should be. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, but we're never really sure if those are. Yeah, there's a, Charles Grady's. We daughters. see them dead in a hallway, but they're not chopped up. They're not chopped up. There's no. blood everywhere, and they're not stacked up neatly. No, they're as not he described. Mm-hmm. No, and also, uh, Charles Grady killed his wife. Yes. That's definitely not the woman in the bathtub. No, the woman in 237 is not Charles Grady's wife. No, she was killed with an axe as well. Yeah, and this woman drowned and then sort of, I guess, rotted in the tub. Yeah. Yeah. So those are discrepancies that I don't think we're supposed to believe that Delbert Grady is the person that that Allman was talking about at the first movie at all. Oh, okay. I really don't think so. All right. I think that there's... And again, it kind of gets into some of the stuff that I'll talk about later as far as some of the meanings of some of these things. Sure. I think that it is intentional that the names are similar and stuff. Yes. But, yeah, I think they're supposed to be And they people. look similar. Yeah. Is, is, there, is there perhaps this genealogical idea that, like, these people, they, they've spread their seed and their seed will just come back to this location. Right. Like, right. Well, they will end up drawn back. Yes. Because like uh, uh, Jack says, when I first got here, I felt like I'd been, I'd been here before. Here before. Exactly, like, yeah. A- around every corner, I already knew what we were going to see. Like, right. Yeah, and you know, the first time that I watched this movie... You know, the immediate impression that I was left with is that it's like, oh, wow, they're caught in this vicious, like, reincarnation cycle where yeah. everybody's drawn to this place and they keep reliving the same events over and over and again. That was my first take from it. I don't yeah. know how accurate that is now that I've seen it a bajillion times. Yeah. But that was my kind of first impression as well, you know? Okay. Okay, so Shelley Duvall absolutely crushes it. She's great. I think movie. she's great. Anybody... Who talks negatively about her, I think, already brings in some negative connotations yeah. towards female characters. Like, yeah. she's she's not doing anything out of the ordinary. She is the most normal character in oh, the movie. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt, yeah. And, you know, she really was driven to such extreme limits on, on the set that yeah. I, I feel like... And again, maybe this is Stanley Kubrick being a mega ultra hyper genius and being detached from emotion and human sympathy and stuff. Right. But I almost feel like on camera, she was being tormented by Jack Torrance. Off camera, she was being tormented by Stanley Kubrick as Jack Torrance. Yeah. Because when you watch that, the the behind the scenes thing that Vivian Kubrick made, and you see how just short-tempered and stuff Kubrick is. Very. Very, very Very quick so. to anger and, and stuff. And just be yeah. like, it doesn't look real. Don't yeah. do it that way. It doesn't look real. I can't yeah. fucking get you to do what I want you to do. Because he sees it perfectly in his head and yeah. yeah. But he just sees to, everybody as a tool But according to, make to that everybody thing. else that ever worked with him, he was always very cool-headed, collected, calculative, never mm. lost his temper and stuff. Okay. Which I've heard some people say that the stuff you see in that Vivian Campbell, or sorry, Vivian Campbell, it's fucking guitar player. <laughs> Vivian Kubrick documentary uh-huh. is fucking fake and staged. I've heard really? people say a lot of that's fake. Huh. Which is crazy. Like to add some sort of mystique to the movie? Absolutely. Or? Yeah. Huh. Okay. Yeah. There's Check that stuff out. That's I one will. of those yeah, things yeah, that you can look into and find I out mean, more about. Because that, that, that documentary also has Scavin Crothers breaking down. Oh, it's weeping. Yeah, just weeping. Like, because he, he was... Like, we, we hear so much about how mistreated Shelley Duvall was, but... Yeah. Scatman Carruthers, like, she had to do 127 takes walking backwards up the stairs. He had to do 143 takes sitting across from an eight-year-old. Yeah, talking in a kitchen. Talking in a kitchen. It's like, insane. 
they were even saying like the scene where he gets out of the snowcat and walks to the into the front of the hotel. Yeah. He had to do like 40 something takes of that. Yeah. And it's like, it's just a guy getting out and walking. What's it yeah. fucking matter? One of the director's assistants in uh, staircases to nowhere mentioned yeah. that like on the first day, um, Stanley told her, Hey, go um, practice lines with Scatman." Yeah. And she went over to, she went over to him and said, Hey, I'm supposed to practice lines with you. And he was like, I only practice my lines with Mr. Kubrick. Oh wow! And so she went back to Stanley and said, "Oh, he said he'll only practice his lines with you." And then Stanley went over to Scatman Crothers in front of everybody and says, uh, "says to him, she works for me. When she tells you to do something, it's me telling you to do it." Damn. And Scatman was just like, uh, "Yes, sir, Mister Kubrick, I'll, I'll do the lines." And Holy then, shit! Like. He just immediately from day one just started berating Scatman Carruthers and telling him what to do and treating him like he wasn't a star. Like, Scatman Carruthers had done a million things before this. Yeah, yeah. Successful musician. Yeah, he didn't need some director talking down to him. Yeah. But he took it. He took it and he did the role. Like, he really invested in it still and really tried. And even though Stanley Kubrick is just not, not... Like, it seems like... He did that many takes to break people down. Yeah. But like, I almost believe that he did that many takes because he, he knew that it wouldn't be perfect until he couldn't stand it anymore. Like, I think he was pushing himself as much as he was pushing everyone else. Right. Right, right, right. Uh, not that I'm defending him. Again, no. he was mistreating Scatman Crothers. He was mistreating Shelley Duvall. And in fact, was mistreating, um, Jack Nicholson. Yeah. But I also learned from Staircases to Nowhere that Jack Nicholson actually figured out a way, kind of hacked the system, figured out a way to handle Stanley Kubrick. How's that? So Stanley Kubrick uh, was rewriting the scripts every single day throughout the day. I've seen shots of him just with a typewriter in front of him while people are going through lines and him just rewriting shit on the So they were getting new pages every few hours. Jesus. And after about a week, Jack Nicholson just stopped looking at him. He just stopped really? looking at the new pages and wouldn't look at the new pages until right before they were going to shoot the scene because then he knew that was what they were actually going to be saying. So he, he it's eliminated... Like, why even waste my time? Yeah, he yeah. eliminated so much of that stress and then he figured out when Stanley was doing the same thing to him, just trying to get this same shot over and over and over he figured this out he said at one point because stanley kubrick never was really looking at the actors he was just looking at the monitor yeah and so after one take jack goes uh do you like what i did in that in that take uh i i closed one eye i thought he'd have one eye closed in this scene and stanley no goes way. and stanley goes all right let's do it again but this time both eyes open and so Jack and Nicholson, then he'd be satisfied with it. And then he was satisfied with it. But Jack Holy Nicholson shit. didn't do the scene with one eye closed. He no, knew that uh-uh. he wasn't even looking at the monitor. He was thinking. He wasn't even paying attention. So a lot of those times what when the they were hell? doing takes over and over, a lot of it was probably just Stanley Kubrick thinking about everything else that he needed to do and not thinking he got the right shot. That is insane. So Jack Nicholson sort of hacked Stanley Kubrick. That <laughs> is pretty wild. Great. Yeah. Damn, that is extremely cool. Yeah. Wow, how mm. interesting that is. It's way, way cool. Jack Nicholson, man, 
reading up on him just for this, uh, I was like, that dude's cool. Yeah, like yeah. he's a real interesting cat. Way weird. He was friends with Hunter S. Thompson. Like Seems one like of the a weird dude. Yeah, real weird guy. He's got some people say he has one of the best art collections in in L.A. <laughs> like really, yeah. Wow, collects a lot of art. A weird guy though, and it's strange. Like, so many fucking iconic roles. In oh yeah, too, yeah. He sure. really get into his roles, and then also be huge fan of the Lakers. Apparently, he yeah. and Carpenter hang out. <laughs> I don't know. It makes you wonder. But you know, getting back to Scatman, I'll, I'll say like he yeah. is so incredibly lovable and charismatic. Yes. in this movie, like, and yeah. the movie really needed that because the whole the whole rest of the movie is just so. It's a, bleak and yeah. dehumanizing and it makes the humans feel so small well, and puny and impersonal. He's as much our connection yeah. back to the world as he is their connection back to the world. Absolutely like, so, yeah. He keeps everything grounded because if we don't have him, if we don't have his outside perspective, all we have is this just grinding, unrelenting soul crushing soul crushing yeah. family isolation just isolated from everywhere it's terrible yeah i mean the worst part of course is that he's our only hope and then he goes through all that to get to the hotel and then just gets axed just to get right in the chest immediately but it's a perfect moment too because it's like that severs the connection between him and danny yeah and danny just like realizes it's up to him right yeah yeah and he has to come up with something he can't wait for someone to come save them i that was one of my first things whenever i watched this movie the first time that i just i just loved is that he is all the way down in florida uh-huh chilling in his baller pad oh man i would love to live in that apartment in 1980 miami dude <laughs> that would be awesome that place is badass. <laughs> fucking awesome i want both of those velvet paintings to I, hang up in my home i feel like everything about it is expressly intended to be as as black as possible yeah it's supposed to be this like it's supposed to be his he's away from all this whiteness he's away right. from all this and he can be himself because when he's around everyone else he has to perform yep and that's what he's doing that's the cool thing i think that like maybe kubrick was trying to pull out of him was like that he he's performing in front of these white people. Exactly. He's yep. trying to be Among their these everything. Jet setters and so on. Yeah, yep. he's trying to be their everything. And then totally when he gets agree. to be himself, he wants to just relax in Miami and get literally as far the fuck away yeah. as he possibly can. Yes, and be in his own space and be away from that. Yeah, it's great. I think it's a wonderful like setup. Yeah, and be surrounded by uh, beautiful women in these paintings and, yeah. and jazz records yeah he's got his jazz records he's yeah he's man that it's meant to dope. be as black as possible yeah for sure for sure man he does an amazing job in this movie i think he's so charismatic and, and again just so lovable and yeah, flick. i can't imagine anybody else what about danny lloyd <laughs> and his extensive film career this kid who was chosen for two reasons as far as i could gather predominantly that stanley kubrick thought his voice matched the voices of his parents and mm. that he could maintain voice interesting yeah. yeah and that he could maintain his attention for long periods of time now that i think about it his voice does kind of sound like baby jack nicholson yeah. i can kind of understand that mm -hmm. now. how strange yeah he didn't want to have a kid who didn't sound like the two parents and basically he did this and like something for tv and then yeah. never acted again now he teaches at a community college in kentucky i think he's an amazing child actor yeah he I did a great job phenomenal i bet this. he was bored to death though he had to sit for 143 takes with scatman Jesus, brothers think dude. about that 
Dude, when you were a kid, that yeah. had to feel like 10 years of your life just passed. For real. For sure, dude. <laughs> and he apparently also made up the whole like finger finger twitching thing. Oh, that's thing. cool. Yeah, he made that up. That's really cool. That's really creepy. With, with Tony and stuff, mm. which is really neat. And I love his it, the voice that he puts on whenever he's talking yeah. for Tony and stuff. I think that that's really interesting. And all of his like terrified faces. Uh-huh. Everything is extremely believable. And to think that he had no idea he was in yeah, a horror movie. Had no clue. Yeah. Had zero clue that this was scary. See, that that's sort of some like... that That is uh, obviously showing that Stanley Kubrick does have humanity. He's yeah. not He's not treating these people like shit for no reason. <laughs> he's not think. fucking treating that kid like Linda Blair. Yeah, on the exactly. He, yeah. Tre- he treated the kid like, this is a kid. We can't do that to a kid. But these are grown adults... They can handle who it. signed up for this, they can handle it. And it was pretty much true. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Shelley Duvall had other issues that only came out more recently, honestly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she yeah. she had an amazing career. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know. He he definitely treated that kid very well. Yeah. Kept him away from the, the horrific things. But I think that he does a, a great job. I think, I think he so. delivers he's... his lines very well. I've heard some people say that he's kind of, kind of flat in the movie, but... Wouldn't he be? Uh, yeah, I was gonna yeah. say. Like, I remember talking that way when I was a yeah, kid. Yeah, me too. It's like, have you ever been around kids? They're not hyper emotional. One the time. of my favorite uh, line deliveries from him, in fact, though, is yeah. when um, uh, early in, when they're showing them around the hotel, he shows up where the parents have been seeing stuff in the basement, and uh, Jack Nicholson says, uh, "Did you get tired of bombing, bombing the universe?" universe? Yeah. And he just says, "Yeah." And yeah. it's just like, yeah, that's how I would have answered that as yeah. a kid. Just like, yeah, you don't get what I've been doing. P.S. What's yeah, up with whatever. that line? It's a weird line. There's no video games. He wasn't playing. He was no playing darts. Games. Yeah. And yeah. there's not even an arcade game in the game room. Yeah. It's there's just not. an assumption, it would, it would seem. But yeah. yeah. It's just an odd, yeah. an odd choice. Because video games weren't that widespread in eighty, were they? I mean, No. No. I mean, you'd have, you'd have a joust in a pack. Sure, and yeah. Like that, but... Still odd, considering there are no video games. Maybe Asteroids is what he's talking about. I guess so. But again, maybe that's a deleted scene. Yeah. I don't know, though. When you see that games room, it doesn't seem like there's a video game machine at all. No. I mean, I went back and watched as much of it as I could, and I didn't see anything. But I love love his portrayal of Danny. Again, I I can't really think of of anybody else that would have done a better job. I think it's interesting that he just retired from acting after this. Yeah. I think he also seems to be the precursor to Corey Feldman to me. Yeah, he still looks so much like young that. Corey Feldman, like yeah. Corey Feldman in uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Four. Right? Yeah, yeah, I see that. Yeah, for sure. What do you think about old Jackie Nicholson? He's amazing, man. He's just fucking great. Like flawless, uh, unbelievable. He's so good. Like you yeah. see him in that behind-the-scenes documentary, and he's just being this charming, funny guy in between these super intense scenes. Oh yeah. And but then, then him like, getting like fired up to like chop down that door, yeah, man, had, he's getting amped up. You know, they they originally used a prop door, but he he had been trained as a fire marshal, and he yeah. just cut through it in Destroyed one shot. It. Yeah. I think I heard they they did something like over forty doors. Yeah, before they finally got one where he couldn't just destroy yeah. the fuck out of it. And also, too, just as a PS, those shots where he's like chopping at the door uh-huh. where the camera like tracks the axe that was swing so good incredibly effective yes really shows the impact you know now we, awesome. we have to have maybe not a debate maybe just a, an agreement okay. with other people who yeah. can debate here's Johnny great line <laughs> Wendy uh... I'm home 
better line. I love that. Yeah. He says it like, I'm home. Yeah, it's just so like perfect. Yeah. He's like so here's Johnny is a, a funny thing, but it's like, I don't get like if you take that out of context, it's like that doesn't make any sense in the scene. But yeah, Wendy, I'm home. It's cool. It's yeah, cool. it's cool. It's here's, a great line. Here's Johnny was apparently improvised. Yeah, that was improv yeah. by him. Right. Mm-hmm. Which I don't know. I, I find kind of odd. Yeah, it, it doesn't really seem like something that Jack Torrance would would say to no. me, unless it was specifically to be cynical. Because there's and again, this kind of goes into oh right, because he did have his sort of anti TV yeah. thing. Like he heard it on the TV. Yeah, it's yeah. all right. He heard it on television. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff throughout the movie about Wendy and Danny embracing technology and him not and him not. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The hatred of TV, the yeah. fact that they're shown watching TV a couple mm-hmm. times during yeah. the movie. Uh, I think three times, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. There's in the apartment. There's with the TV that's not plugged into anything in the main right lobby. where there's no plug whatsoever. Yeah, that's a real weird. And then there's the morning where he's like, "Danny's not here, Mrs. Torrance." Right. They're, they're watching. They're seating. Uh, yeah, they're watching Roadrunner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Jack doesn't watch TV at all. Uh, Jack doesn't use the radio. Jack breaks the radio. Oh, right. Wendy's the only one that uses the radio to communicate. With Wendy's anybody. the only one that does any work, honestly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jack uses a typewriter. Yeah, which is anything. a machine, but yeah, not electronic. Yeah. So, yeah, it seems like in the whole bombing the universe thing seems to be like right. an anti-video game right. kind of thing, I guess. So, I don't know. Maybe there's something to him doing the Here's Johnny thing to be like... You watch, yeah, you yeah. watch TV. Fucking, this is here's the thing you love. Yeah, so I don't know that scene. Barring all supernatural elements to horror movies, I think is probably the most intense, anxiety-inducing moment for me. Oh god, to yeah. imagine yourself in that because that's a thing that could happen to you. Absolutely, so. somebody wants Has to happened. kill you yeah. and you're behind a door and they're trying to knock it down. I mean, most murders are fucking people you know. Yes. You know, it's not yeah. just random strangers. It's so, husbands and wives. Just and watching that it's like this is scary. And like her reactions to it so are perfect. Genuine. Just so like, genuine. So, yeah, yeah, like I I feel like they probably didn't tell her when he was going to start hitting. Right. That, that would be like the perfect way to get just a leave genuine reaction. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and she just ushered her kid out the window, and then <sighs> she's stuck in there, and extremely effective. Yeah, she's so skinny. I didn't. Uh, oh, that's man, the one yeah. moment I didn't believe. I was like, she could probably fit through there. I know, right? <laughs> she's so tiny. Come on, dude. You could totally just <laughs> could, try. The head. Her head is probably the biggest part on her, and she got that, that got through. through. So. <laughs> exactly, man. Yeah, that that was kind of a little little unbelievable. Little unbelievable. Yeah. But yeah, everybody does a, an absolutely incredible job it's in so the movie. Good. Again, I can't really think of, of anybody else being cast in this movie. Now, do you think that's the scariest part of the flick? That's something I was going to ask you about. What do you think is the I scariest part I think that's the, the genuinely scariest part. Like, the yeah. other stuff that happens is all like, God, can you imagine how weird that would be? But like, that is just like, oh, no, no, I've, I can imagine that. that like, I can really imagine that happening, and it would be fucking frightening. Like... I think I've said this before, but we all forget just how fucking devastating an axe or a sword or something Good is. Good lord, I know. Yeah, you think Jesus. of that as an archaic weapon. Yeah, but uh, if you don't have a gun, that weapon is way better than what you have. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, at the end of the movie there, whenever we see Dick Halloran get axed, it's like the impact of that oh. thing just smacking his chest and yeah. burying it in him. It's so much more brutal than a fucking headshot or whatever. Yeah. 
you know? Yeah. It is just suddenly there is a 10-pound chunk of steel embedded in your rib cage, mm-hmm. and you're still alive. And to know it would take a while to die. Uh, Ooh. Oh, my God, dude. It's so fucking brutal. Yeah. Part that freaked me out the most the first time that I saw it and forevermore... The fucking bear guy. The bear guy why, giving a blowjob. Why, oh, why the fuck is that in the movie? That's one of those things that was... I think it's genius. Oh, man. dude. It's, it's literally the last thing that I could have expected. I feel like Stanley Kubrick heard from somebody that someone liked to have sex in a costume of okay. some sort. Well, and he was just like, that is literally one of the weirdest things I've ever heard. I'm going to throw it in a movie. Well, here's the deal. Yeah. In the book... Uh-huh. And this is one of those things that I've heard explained around a, a million different ways and stuff. In the book, as it's going into the history of the Overlook Hotel and stuff, yeah, there's all these stories about these like wild and crazy, like big like orgies and stuff yeah. that would happen at the hotel with like famous people and politicians and stuff like this. That was pretty common in the 30s in Hollywood. Yeah. For yeah, for uh, I'm sure major studios now, to dude. set up. Orgies. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. Maybe it is. But basically the guy... Oh God, I'm trying to remember what his last name was. I can't recall it at the moment. But the guy that basically owned the Overlook, there was this guy that was pretty much like the Gimp. Like, bring out the Gimp. Pulp Fiction, oh, you know? Oh, okay. Who wore like a dog costume. He was called the Dog Man. Oh, okay. Who would basically perform all these like crazy sex acts on people and stuff. Hmm. And he was kind of like... You know, his, his sex slave, more or less. Okay, so that's almost straight out of the book. It is. Yeah. In the movie, it, it does look... More like a bear, kinda but like it a might bear, look like a dog. But yeah. his face kind of looks like a bulldog, if you think yeah, about it. With, it like, does. the jaw sticking out yeah. and stuff. Kind of looks like a bulldog, really. Uh-huh. I've heard all kinds of interpretations about that. There's uh, a lot of people see this huge sexual subtext in this movie. And the, the, bear, the, the bear thing is actually in this movie several times. Is it? Yeah. So, and, and again, it's one of those hyper subtle things that people have noticed, and it might not mean anything. Okay. But, you know, Danny back home has that bear pillow. Yeah. He's laying on the bear pillow. Yeah, yeah. He's been in, interviewed by the doctor. Yeah. In, I think, room 237, they point out that the eyes. Did they talk about the eyes in that movie? In room 237? Yeah. The eyes of the bear? Yeah. No. Okay, dig this. Okay. So this is stuff that I think I uh, culled from um, Rob. It's A-G-E-R. Ager, okay. I think is Rob his Ager. name. Yeah. Okay. He's got an incredible YouTube channel called Collative Learning. Okay. And he's also got a website called collativelearning.com. I hugely recommend it. He's a big Kubrick buff. Okay. Film analysis guy. Whenever I fell down that rabbit hole at the Blue Moose in uh-huh. Iowa, it was collativelearning.com. Oh, okay. So Rob's stuff is what kind of really got me hyper obsessed with all this stuff okay dig this so whenever danny is talking to the doctor at the first of the movie right he's laying on that pillow that is a bear uh-huh. now some guy i think it was actually rob ager went and found the original like sears catalog from 1978 or whatever of that bear yeah of where that bear okay. was purchased the bear's eyes are originally like round like a like a quarter uh-huh in the movie, it is more like a, like, let's say a half circle. Okay, so they replace the eyes. Very blatantly. Right. And it looks more like the dials that are above the the elevator of blood. It's the exact oh. same shape. It's the exact same shape. Okay. And it's definitely deliberate. Okay. So while he's talking about this stuff, 
Uh, you know, he's talking about Tony. And, yeah, again, there's all these people that have looked into it to say that the whole Tony creation thing, the trauma was that he was sexually abused by his father. Yeah, yada, yeah. Yada. That, that, there's some evidence to that, yeah. perhaps, yeah. And even during the scene wherever, um, remember the scene where Danny goes to get his fire truck and Jack is sitting on the bed yes, being all crazy that's a very creepy scene. Yeah, and then the next thing that happens is that, you know, he goes into room 237 and he's abused by the woman or whatever. Right. So a lot of people theorized that he was actually abused by his dad as soon right. as that scene cut. There's a picture of a bear on the wall in that scene. Oh. So there's kind of this sort of subtext that the bear represents sexual abuse. Oh. And I've even heard some people theorize that whenever Wendy sees the the bear guy at the end of the movie, that's actually Danny sending her a message telling her what happened, what Jack has been doing to him. Yeah, I gathered... I do believe, no matter what, that the end is Danny sending a message to her. All okay. of the stuff he, that she like sees. Like the Haunted Mansion stuff. Yeah, all yeah. of it. Because she doesn't have The Shining. Okay, so you don't think she shines? I don't think she does. Okay. I think Jack may. Yeah. There's a sound that happens when The Shining is happening. It's like a kettle whistle. Yeah, kind of and at that time when he's staring out the window at it's them playing it. in the snow, it's, it's happening. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But that could be The House Shining. I know, right? Because the house does. Yes. The house has that power. Danny has that power. It could be the house putting it into her brain. I think she's the most normal of all of them. Like yeah. She's supposed to represent this this level where everything is uh, absolutely natural. There is no supernatural. There's no telepathy. We mm. talk with our mouths. That's the only way, etc. Yeah. And I think at the end, she is exposed by Danny yeah. to what is going on in the house to save her to right, get her, to out, get of her out of the house yeah. to get her to him too yes. yeah yeah that's an interesting way to look at it and I think it is entirely plausible and of sure. course again that's the fun thing about this movie there's yeah, so many, there's so many about, millions of interpretations are there ghosts or are there not there may not be it could be all delusion yeah. there's only one moment that someone could point to and say that they're like almost absolutely only one possible way it happened that's not supernatural and that is that Danny let uh, Jack out of the pantry the freezer uh, pantry yeah. unlocking yes yeah that, that, that's other than really that debate. like that moment seems absolutely supernatural which says everything's supernatural so but I'll, I'll tell you two things about that one that makes it possible one that makes it not possible okay so Obviously, as we see throughout the movie, whenever Danny is in these Tony trances, it's yes. as if he's sleepwalking. And he was in a Tony trance when his dad was in the pantry. Correct. Yes. Exactly. So, so Tony may have let him out. Right? It is entirely possible. Now, Jack might have been hearing voices from the hotel or whatever, but it is entirely possible that Danny was walking around in a in a Tony trance. Yeah. And unlock that thing. It's yeah. entirely possible. Because Wendy was asleep at that time. And then Danny comes yeah. back and we see, he does the red rum thing. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Here's another thing, though. Okay. And again, this is the thing that makes it not possible. And this is hyper rare. I've only... I actually only saw this yesterday for the first oh, time. Oh, okay. And I've done fuck tons of research about this movie. Awesome. <laughs> there is a, like, two-second long clip of a deleted scene Uh-oh. that is out there that shows Jack Nicholson and Stanley Kubrick standing in the pantry. And uh-huh. you know it's the correct scene because he's wearing the burgundy jacket. Uh-huh. So it's definitely that right. scene. And also in the shot is Delbert Grady wearing a tuxedo. Oh. 
So Delbert did do it. There was originally, in some context, Delbert Grady in his tuxedo, like he was in, right. the, ba- in the bathroom, yeah. was filmed at some point in that context of yeah. Jack in the Pantry. If you want the ambiguity, I see why he cut that. Absolutely yeah. so. I, I think it's better that he left it yeah. that way. Yeah. It's absolutely better. Yeah. But apparently there is a scene. That's and interesting. again, the footage was fucking destroyed, yeah. so we'll never know. Well, I think I think for Kubrick, that's just like a... Like, what I've put on the screen is yeah. all you need to pay attention to. Any other ideas I may have had, any connections to the book or whatever, just forget that the movie that you're watching is all you need to draw from to get everything you need. Yeah. Uh, and that means tons of ambiguity. Absolutely so, man. It's great. I, I really, like, I think about that each time I watch, like, is this supernatural? I know. Or is this cabin fever? Well, there's so much talk in the very first of the movie when they're talking about the Donny the Donner yeah. party and well what the old folks call cabin fever. Yeah, they set that up. They and set then, it up. Then they get to the hotel and they start setting up all the stuff you need for it to be supernatural. On an Indian burial ground. Yeah. Like uh the you know, former caretaker killed his family, etc. Yeah, exactly, like, yeah. There's every indication for both readings of it yeah absolutely so <laughs> it is, is i think it's very intentional man. yeah now while we're talking about the cast and stuff too i've got to say to me the overlook hotel itself uh, is a character in the movie it is and that is something that i think is part of why i love this so much and also why i love movies like hereditary and rosemary's baby and stuff sure. so much too it's like or even Alien. Like, I feel like the Nostromo is a character in the movie. Yeah, oh, There's it is. claustrophobic hallways, yeah. man, the lighting, the paneling, everything. Yeah. The Overlook Hotel seems to be a living, breathing thing. It does. And it's it's so gargantuan that it swallows these humans up. Yeah. Even in the opening establishing shots with the, the helicopter flying over and eventually uh-huh. it gets to the hotel, it just seems so colossal in some is. of those it, rooms like it, the, the colorado lounge and stuff yeah and even the gold room itself yeah are so colossal that it just seems to make the humans that are trapped inside it just seem like ants and i love that about it so much man all right okay so i i wanted to hold off on this but what you're saying makes me want to get to my theory cool. about this movie it's Rad. not a theory that ties everything together but it's a theory about the house and the inclusion of the maze Okay, yeah. Now, the maze wasn't in the original book. No. Um, and th- it's mentioned in room 237 that the labyrinth um, is, of course, uh, absolutely connected to Minotaurs. Sure. Minotaur was the housed in the myth. labyrinth. Yeah, the Minotaur, uh, if you don't know anything about it, King Minus, he prayed to Poseidon to get his favor to be chosen as the the king after his father had died and his he and his brothers were fighting for kingship okay of uh Crete Minos in fact on Crete and uh Poseidon sent him a bull perfect white bull absolutely unflawed mm-hmm. and said sacrifice it to me well, Minos decided not going to sacrifice that bull. Not that bull's too perfect. It. Not gonna do I'll it. sacrifice one of my other bulls. What's the difference? Yeah. And you know how the Greek gods difference. feel about that. Yeah. So Poseidon was upset. And of course, what do you do when you're upset? He made uh, Minos's wife, Pasiphae, fall in love with the white bull. Pasiphae, Freaky. Freaky. Yep. Pasiphae then had Daedalus 
build her a bull cost or a, a cow costume so okay. the bull would fuck her. That is very dirty. Uh-huh. The bull fucked her. She had a half uh, bull, half human baby that grew too fast and immediately began eating people. And so Uh-oh. then she went to Daedalus again, had him build the labyrinth to house the Minotaur. Keep this thing put yeah. up like, yeah, okay. Now, um, most of the time when you talk about labyrinths today, a labyrinth is a, it has a start and an end. There's just one path. It just twists around. Sure. But this labyrinth, by all like accounts in the, the tales, was an actual maze. And, you know, they, they would every seven years send in seven virgin males and seven virgin females and sacrifice them to the Minotaur. Yeah. So the labyrinth becomes this place of sacrifice. Okay. All right. And it's also a place that houses spirits and monsters. Okay. The house itself is a labyrinth. It's referenced. It's referenced even by uh, Wendy. Wendy. Yeah. yeah. She, she says this place kitchen. is like a maze. I'm gonna have to leave trail uh, breadcrumbs. trailed breadcrumbs every time I come in here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's referenced by Wendy. It's also referenced by the maze and referenced by the model of the maze. Well, and you know what? It's also even referenced by the fact that the architecture of the Overlook itself was deliberately made to not make sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. We're not talking about an interior of an actual hotel. These are a bunch of sound stages put together. Yeah. And, and if you look watch Room 237, people have tried to put together these maps by following yeah. the way that you know the scenes come together and, and hallways don't connect and no. things don't come together. So There's doorways that are impossible yeah. and stuff like that. Like yeah. even uh, one that comes to mind actually, not to divert your, no, your topic no problem, here, but like in the hallway where room 237 is, yeah, he sees you know the, the halfway open door to room 237 and then like 15 feet down that same wall, there's another door. Uh-huh. That wall would be like opening up into the, the bedroom of 237. Exactly. Yeah. But th- there's not even a door in there. Yeah. The Minotaur lady in, in the Room 237 documentary mentions yeah. that the the window in the impossible Stuart window. Ullman's office makes no sense. because it's in it, the middle of the hotel. It's in the middle of the hotel. Where Why would there be a window there? Yeah. And uh, I, di- I did read from... Fuck. I can't remember who it was. It was somebody that worked on the set that they did deliberately make it that way yeah. to make it spatially confusing exactly. on a psychological to level. Keep, yeah, it keeps you on your toes. Yeah. Now, so in this theory then, the house itself is built to house monsters. Okay. With this uh, maze-like structure. Yes. So think of the people that are housed there. Uh, Delbert Grady, these uh, mm. very menacing twins... This woman who goes from young to crone in uh, seconds okay. seems to Transform, be pleased yeah. in tricking men into thinking she's young. She has a laugh about it. Yeah. She has a hearty laugh. And then uh, that entire 1921 party, which was probably full of what we might consider degenerates. Right. All of these people, the house considers monsters and traps them there. Okay. All right. The house, Much like the labyrinth, might. Yeah. The house. That's cool. Doesn't consider, um, Wendy or Danny a monster. It doesn't try to trap them. Yeah. It tries to trap Jack. Jack definitely does get trapped there and like wants to be there. Yeah. He becomes oh. the Minotaur. He becomes the the thing that they have to then hide from. 
he becomes the thing that they're constantly trying to, you know, find a part in the maze where they can't be got at by this Minotaur. And hmm. in the end, uh, the house traps him. And he's even like beastly and stuff. Yeah, right in the, the end, movie. yeah, as he's going through the labyrinth, the, the maze chasing Danny. At the end, he's just going like yeah. he's not saying words. He's like a beast. He's just a beast, ready to murder, yeah, and kill. And interestingly enough, uh, labyrinth actually refers to an axe, like Labyrus is an axe. It's a type of axe. Um, no shit. Yeah, and he's using an axe to try to kill them. Well, damn. Yeah. So there, I'm not saying that explains the whole movie, but I I think it explains why the maze is there and what the relation to is with the house and why the house traps certain spirits, but not everyone there. Yeah, but not every... Because that, that's something that I was thinking about too that I was really questioning this time around watching the movie is like, if you can go in this hotel and see just such nightmarish shit at the drop of a hat, right? how does like Almond stand to work there? How exactly. does like those nice girls that he's like, see you next year, ladies, or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. how do these people stay at this fucking place? It doesn't affect them. It only affects monsters. It only drags in the monsters that need to be taken and taken away from regular society yeah. and get their sacrifices every few years. That's pretty dope. It is pretty cool. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's especially interesting cool. because some, like some sources say that the uh, virgins were sent every seven years. Some say every nine years. This happens nine years after the Grady's. Oh shit! Because nineteen seventy, nineteen seventy nine, dude. So I, I think I think That's there's something. That's fucking sick. There. I like I was watching Room T three seven and that woman starts talking about the labyrinth and the Minotaur, but she gets sort of she gets I mean, sort she of, love that poster, dude. She yeah, she, she loves that poster. There's a poster that she says resembles a Minotaur, but it's only if you see it in like very low definition yeah that it kind of looks maybe like a minotaur but if you see it in high def you're like that's just a dude skiing yeah after she mentioned it i can see it now and and actually too although she didn't point this out Uh so that scene where you do see the uh yeah it says monarch on the poster yeah which is apparently also a code name for mk ultra shit there's all kinds of right about that i remember that but where the Minotaur poster is behind the twins, there's a mm. poster on the wall behind them that is of like a cow skull. Yeah. So it's like got horns and stuff like a Minotaur. That's really fucking cool. Yeah. There are two pop culture references that I think kind of indicate because I always thought there was just because seeing the maze one once I saw it and started studying like because a uh, portrait of the artist as a young man is one of my favorite novels mm. of all time. The main character in that is named Daedalus. So I had been studying who Daedalus was, and okay. I'd already been studying then the Daedalus labyrinth. Diggle the, from Harry Potter. Exactly the same guy. Um, I I remember having that theory, and then I hadn't seen Room T three seven yet. But there's an episode of Doctor Who, okay, called yeah. the God Complex, where they get stuck in this hotel, okay, and there's a Minotaur in the hotel. And each one of the rooms sort of shows you your fantasy, or sh- not your fantasy, but the thing you fear the most. Okay. But also sort of drives you because you fear it the most. It drives okay, you to yeah. move. Like, this can sort of work in The Shining. You can say maybe not what f- makes you you fear the most, but the house shining, or the hotel kind of shows you what you want. 
Okay, yeah, we were talking about yeah. this before we started recording, and you, you hinted at a few things. I want to yeah. hear what you have to say. Okay, so... Explain that to me. When, when they first walk through the gold room, yeah, Wendy says, we could have us a nice party in here. Oh, she does a little dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah she yeah. does a cute little dance. And then later, there's a party there. Nice party, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's He says that to her. Yeah. The person who said earlier she wanted to have a party says that to now her. Now the house is saying to Jack great party. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Danny says before they go to the hotel, he says, Are there going to be any kids to play with when we move? Cause, yeah, there's nobody know, to play with around here. Nobody to play with around here. And then he goes to the hotel and he sees yeah. these two twins who say, Come and play with us, Danny. Come and play with us forever. Holy shit. And then. Jack, Dude. <laughs> Jack who never, <laughs> Jack who never says anything about yeah. his fantasies, but we clearly know what they are. He wants a different wife, and he wants a drink. He wants to get him a pull. Yeah, a a bartender shows up and offers him a drink, yeah. and then a woman shows up and kisses him. Like, damn, it's the it's the house giving them their fantasies, but their fantasies get twisted yeah. into death. It's very interesting. That's pretty dope. Yeah, yeah it so, really does. It's like everybody gets exactly what they ask for, but hmm. in a twisted, fucked up way. The other reference That's is sick. one that just came to me. It's from Venture Brothers. Um, the Monarch, by uh-huh. the way. Yeah. The Monarch is main villain in Venture Brothers. Um, he he does this sort of, um, what is the red dragon thing? He's got mm-hmm. this like red dragon tattoo. He gets this prostitute and then like, he tells her that, you know, she can leave, but she has to escape his, like, labyrinth or whatever. Okay. And then he, like, becomes this sort of minotaur. Uh, and I just, because you pointed out that the that poster says monarch. Yeah. And that's the poster she says is a minotaur. I bet the guys from Venture Brothers were like, oh, that would be a funny thing to put together. Deep cut. Yeah. Deep cut. It is, it is a cool thing. It's a funny idea, yeah. That's awesome. But that's anyway, a really yeah. that's a really cool idea, yeah, man. I think about those are connected at least. The house trapping these people and mm-hmm. stuff. Because you're right, it's like it doesn't seem to affect normal people. I mean, people yeah. wouldn't work people wouldn't stay in this hotel. Yeah, no way. If they were seeing this shit. Even Dick Halloran, who has the shining, works there every day. He knows there are parts that he shouldn't go to. Yeah. But he can still go to work every day. Yeah, exactly. You get the impression he's been there a while. Yeah. Because he's a good dude. It doesn't fuck with him. Interesting. You know about his crossover into the It universe, too? Dick Halloran? Yeah. I know a lot of this all crosses over. Yeah. But no, tell me about it. So in It... I don't remember this. There's an old story about that. There's like a club where all the black people would go. It was like a music club, like a dance hall that gets burned down. I remember this story. Yeah. Dick Halloran, who is at that time like a a naval cook or something like that. Uh Uh-huh. He is at the club... And saves, uh, what's the the black boy in the losers club? Oh right, right. He saves his like dad from the wow. club because he has he has like a shine that things are about to get real. Yeah. So he gets a couple of people and gets out. One of them is that kid from the shiny's dad. That's crazy. It's pretty badass. I like that he does all those connections. Another connection that's in the book that uh, isn't in the movie, but yeah. the book that Jack is writing is. Stephen King's future novella, Apt Pupil. That is nuts to me. Yeah. That is beyond But that, that's only in the book. In this, I would like to talk about exactly what he's writing, but yeah. there, there's definitely like so many 
king connections and i think that's why like i i do think that like the house is this sort of nexus out of time yeah because of the castle rock connection right i think i think that he kind of has this going on in his works that like time and space can sort of shift right things can change and be different the things that actually connect everyone is stories and characters whereas time and space are less consistent yeah I can't, I can't argue with that. Yeah. That's pretty cool, man. You know, while we're on the subject about some of the meanings of this movie, let's go ahead and address Room 237. Yeah, okay. In the post-237 world, <laughs> <laughs> you can't not talk about it. Yeah. I remember watching this, uh, you know, whenever it came out, I was so stoked because, yeah. again, I was in, like, the height of my Shining Obsession. I remember watching it and being like, man, a lot of you guys are just fucking reaching for any conclusions you can reach. grab about There's this stuff. There's definitely some reach. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a few things that I do think are pretty interesting to explore. Yeah. But let's kind of talk about a couple of theories that the people in that, as well as just other general internet folks, have talked right. about this movie actually being about. Now, one of the most prevalent theories is that this whole movie is Stanley Kubrick's admittance and apology for faking the moon landing. <laughs> making the fake moon landing footage, which yeah. is a, a widespread rumor, because after right. he had done 2001, Space mm. Odyssey, in what, 67 Seven, or something yeah. like that? You know, the, the the U.S. government was like, wow, he sure could make it look like we landed on the moon and full these guys. Right. And I don't know. I think that that's one of those things that when you have Danny wearing an Apollo 11 sweater... You're kind of indicating something. I mean, yeah, but it's like at the same time, that just seems so on the nose to be admitting, yeah. hey, guys, I faked Apollo 11. Like, Well, were the theories seems... already there by 80? Were people already saying that he I did know. it? Because then it would just be too. like a fuck you. Yeah, like, that's, yeah. What I was, that's what I was thinking, too. It's like in a pre-internet world, it's like yeah. I don't really know if the stories had gotten back to him by that point of, yeah. hey, man. People think you faked the movie. I mean, later. going back to Tool, I do remember people yeah. talking like, oh, Maynard's like a fucking alien or whatever. And I remember there was a Spin Magazine article in the photo shoot. They were like behind some uh, material or something. And Maynard like had his fingers. Yeah, like, like, like looking like a gray hand. or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just to fuck with just people. Just to fuck with people. Yeah. So I would believe just to fuck with people. Like, I mean, the guy in room 237 tries to, he does that. I'll call it Jordan Petersoning, where <laughs> where you say something rationally, yeah, so that when people disagree with it, it's like, yeah, but I was saying it rationally, yeah. You but it's like I'm a normal person, yeah, but you just said white men are responsible for every good thing in the world, yeah, like, exactly. Like this guy's like, I but believe I we so did calmly. land on the moon, but the, we faked this part, yeah. And it's like. Why? Yeah. <laughs> Why, like, I understand you're speaking rationally now, but let's just get real rational and go with why would they do that? Right. Okay, so we landed on the moon, but they also faked a moon landing? Right. That makes even less... If you were only telling me that they faked the moon landing and we've never been there, that'd be more believable than they landed there, but they also faked it to make it look good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What the hell? And, and you know, it's like I always refer to... I. Having had friends that work in very classified areas of the government, uh-huh. I I can I can tell you that the government is not airtight 
what so fucking no, ever it's at, not all. at all. It's like there's no way that that thing wouldn't just leak like yeah. a fountain if that really happened. Same with the 911 stuff. If you're, I mean, if you're no telling way. me there's a conspiracy of billionaires, I'm more willing to listen. Absolutely. If you're telling me there is a conspiracy of U.S. government, it's like, man, everybody in the government changes every few years. Yeah, it's and they're just, all in there just playing grab ass. Like yeah. they're all a bunch of fucking idiots. Yeah, they can't keep something like this airtight. It's exactly. Not, it's not possible. It's interesting and fun to poke around about. You know, obviously the Apollo 11 thing. There's all kinds of instances in of, of twins right the movie uh-huh. indicating the gemini sure rocket and stuff there's the tang yeah there's the tang, big, tang yeah. is pretty prominent in the uh the what you call it the, yeah, in the pantry. pantry yeah uh all the work and no play it looks like a11 apollo 11 okay there's all kinds of stuff that you can point at but yeah i still think that's kind of a stretch yeah i think that that's a stretch mm-hmm. personally well yeah because it, it it hinges on the idea that Stephen or Stanley Kubrick shot a fake moon landing. Dude, I just you know, so then like you have to work backward from that for all of that to come to that thing. Yeah, that again, we'd all have to agree on, and yeah. there's no evidence of it. And I, I just, mean, there's somebody out there right now shitting their pants. No yeah. evidence. I'll show you. <laughs> But, you know, it, it's the kind of thing where I really just wonder if you were really one of those people that was part of the shadowy, elusive, right? Uh, you know, small circle of people that are running all all the things behind the scenes and running the world, the shadow right. government and stuff like that. I just don't really know if you'd be like, I think it'd be really fun to admit it and hide it in a movie. <laughs> I think that'd be really fun. <laughs> like, I just don't, I don't see that. Yeah. You know, if you're that yeah. much of a diabolical genius, wouldn't you just keep it like a secret? <laughs> exactly. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's just It's also possible that he's wearing an Apollo 11 sweater because like the moon landing had, was hitting its 10 year anniversary. Maybe it's that. Yeah. What about all the Holocaust stuff? I can believe that. I can believe that there's some of that buried in there that there, I think that that goes more with the theory we'll talk about next, which is the native Americans. Yeah. But there's some of that Holocaust stuff there, but the guy who talks about it in room two, three, seven keeps mentioning the number 42 and how important the number 42 is to it. Because that was your, we entered. I was going to say it's important if you're fucking American. Yeah. But not if you're the rest of the world. No. Where world war two started. What? I mean, technically, I guess the World War part of it didn't start until everyone was involved, but it had been going since the 30s. Yeah, Yeah. bad shit was happening way before 1942. Yeah, Yeah, he was talking about there's 42 cars in the parking lot. 42 cars in the parking lot, if you exclude the cat. (laughs) Yeah, don't count that snow cat. Yeah, don't count that snow cat. That's not a car. Uh Uh-huh. But do count the utility van over there. Yeah. Uh I don't know. Uh (laughs) Yeah, I think that's kind of a stretch. Although I did see something really weird and interesting that Uh I found uh, the other day about like, I think it's on YouTube. It's called like The Shining Code or something like that. Have you seen this? Uh Uh-uh. There are numerous scenes in the movie and it's so fucking weird because I've seen this a million times and never noticed these. They're totally there. Uh Uh-huh. Where... It'll be a perfectly ordinary scene, like during the interview. Uh huh. And you will hear something, somebody off screen. It sounds like they say Shoah. Shoah. It's okay. all over the place. S H O A. Okay. Which is the Yiddish word for the Holocaust. Okay. It happens like 19 times in the first 40 minutes of the movie. Wow. It's okay. bizarre. It's truly, truly bizarre. But I've heard some people say, oh, that's just, you know, that's the remnant of where you heard somebody say, action, 
and they started filming, but some of them are in the middle of takes, so that's not the case. Yeah. It's very strange. That is interesting. Yeah, I'll send you the video. You okay. guys can find it and stuff on YouTube. I think it's called like The Shining Code or something like that. Um, it's pretty interesting, again, especially if you're looking at the Holocaust angle. Yeah. I mean, I, I can see him throwing all that stuff in there, and like, again... The movie doesn't have to be completely about the Holocaust. It could just be, there's a bit about the Holocaust in here. Yeah. 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 I tend to think that there's kind of a smorgasbord of everything in this movie. Yeah. Now, obviously, the Native American stuff, I think, is probably Mm. the most plausible. That's the one that Rob Ager tends to get the most on board with. I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty evident that he was going for, at the very least, some themes about our uh, decimation and absolutely destruction of native american population oh yeah absolutely so yeah the the hotel itself as you said is buried built, on an ancient indian on a, burial ground that's not in they the book, say while the they were building it yeah. they were attacked by natives several yeah, times had to repel so. attacks and yeah. stuff none of that is in the book in the book it's not built on an ancient yeah indian so burial again ground. this is this is stanley kubrick completely yeah, yeah exactly and again technically all of america is an ancient indian burial ground right that's absolutely true it is yeah uh, and there's all kinds of stuff to symbolize that yeah. throughout the movie. There's all the Native American artwork and stuff. Mm-hmm. Jack is like playing wall ball, throwing it against those sand paintings and stuff yeah. that are on the wall, being very disrespectful. Yeah, they mentioned that that whole Colorado room is is uh, Navajo and Anasazi-inspired yeah. or yeah, uh, yeah. Apache, Apache Navajo. Apache, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, all of that's there. And then the thing that's pointed out in room 237 is the Calumet baking powder yeah. can. The first time I saw that, I was like, bullshit. But then yeah. it's, I don't know, man. I don't know, man. If you see, you look later, the Calumet cans are all to one place, but the one you see earlier is set completely apart from all the other ones yeah. in a place where it wouldn't be. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not on the shelf with yeah. baking supplies. And it's turned so that it's perfectly angled with the camera angle. Yeah, in profile. In profile. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I hate to say, but that does seem deliberate. That's that one of those very ones. Yeah. First time I was like, "Bullshit!" That's just mm-hmm. a coincidence. That stuff you find in a pantry, but yeah, I and, I do tend to think that there's something to that. And then the the music from the opening and oh, then yeah. when everything's going crazy, that music sounds like what you might hear at a drum circle or yeah, like sure. yeah, like some sort of native ceremony. Yeah, especially uh, towards the end when Wendy's running around and a lot yeah. of the music is just like that. Psh, psh, yeah like drumming kind of stuff yeah is very uh very native american sounding for sure and i mean that could give a benevolence to the house like what i was saying where the house the house might be trying to save danny and wendy yeah the house might be like no 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 you're not we we're not trapping you yeah yeah yeah. we don't need you you're fine get out of here um so yeah the house might have this benevolent spirit it's built on an uh Native American burial ground, which then gives it power sure. to trap these evil spirits. Yeah, maybe out of out of vengeance. Maybe out of vengeance. Yeah. And all throughout the movie, Wendy wears Native American stuff on her clothes frequently. Does she? Yeah. I never even noticed. You know the scene where she goes to talk on the radio to the Rangers. Mm-hmm. She's wearing that yellow jacket. Oh yeah, I never really paid attention to that design. That is a Native sort of design. Yeah. 
and that's not the only time. There's other stuff in the movie where she's huh. doing it too. Uh, even towards the end where she's wearing like kind of the, the overalls, uh-huh. her boots are almost kind of moccasin-like. Wow, okay. Yeah. If I recall, I might be wrong about that now that I think about it, but if I recall, I think there's a couple other instances of her wearing native-looking stuff, plus her straight dark hair. Yeah, she's she's definitely got some of the look about her. Jet black sure. hair. Jet black hair. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, and, and again, there's other there's other talk, of, again, about the Donner Party, covered wagon times, yeah. stuff like that. Those so. mentions are, I mean, they're all deliberate. Yeah. And they, they do indicate that he meant something about this. Yeah. But again, that doesn't have to be the whole movie. Like, right. I, and I don't think that it is. Yeah. You can have so many layers without all of them having to fit together. So you can yeah. have the Holocaust layer and the, the Native American genocide, and it's like, oh, they kind of play in together. Sure. But then it can also be true that some of it's about the gold standard yeah, and the, abandoning the, the gold standard. The gold standard and the banking stuff is pretty interesting yeah. to, to delve into. Yeah. In There's, case you don't know, the gold standard is uh, our our dollars used to be backed by gold. Now they're backed by faith. Yeah, it's backed Basically. by a, a number in a computer somewhere. Yeah. It's actually worthless. Money is a shared hallucination. Yeah, but it's I mean... the rules to the game we've all agreed on. Yeah. And people that say, we should go back to the gold standard. You know, your value of gold is also a delusion, right? Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like, is it actually that useful? Yeah. Not really. None of, none of it's really worth anything. Nah, yeah. diamonds yeah. aren't fucking worth anything. Yeah. They're common as fuck. It's so the, a delusion. The main concept with this is that in the gold room, yeah. he goes in and he doesn't have money. Yeah. And he gets a drink anyway. On then, credit. On credit. Yeah. Then he comes back with money. Your money's no good here. And he's told your money's no good here. Yeah. So again, it's operating on faith. The house has faith in him that he will return the favor. Here's another thing, too, about that scene with the money. Yeah. So old bills, when we were still working off of the gold standard, yeah. that had it printed on the bill redeemable for equal yes. amount of gold. You could take it in and, and get bang. gold if you wanted yeah. to. New money does not say that. It yeah. just says backed in bond or whatever the yeah. fuck it says on there. And actually, if you do a close-up on the money that Jack holds out... Is it old money? No, it's new money. Oh, okay. So it's not backed by it's anything. It's not backed by anything. Money's it's not no worth good anything. Here. Yeah, exactly. Also, dig this. There's two gold rooms. Are there? Yeah. Okay. For one, the gold room itself, when you think about it, when uh-huh. you think about the, the palatial golden ballroom with the gold yeah. bricks all over the walls... Mm-hmm. Uh, which were all done by hand and had to be glued into place and stuff. The that work on that right. set is insane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you ever noticed how that room is way too big to fit in the hotel? Yeah, it's way too big. It's way too fucking big. Now, whenever you think about whenever Jack walks into the main hotel lobby for the interview, there's a sign in the background that says the gold room. Mm-hmm. And what you can see is that it leads to a short hallway that leads into the Colorado Lounge, it's where all the pictures are, where we see Jack's, uh-huh. Jack's photograph later. Okay. There's a scene later on where you see Scatman in the in the second gold room, which okay. is, again, actually, it's almost more like a museum of, here's people who have stayed here. Yeah. It's just photos on, a sh- on the wall in a short hallway. Uh-huh. There's no gold on the walls or anything like that. That represents the bank as it is now. Okay. There's no gold in the bank. Right. There's nothing there. Because there's another weird thing, too. The, the actually, you know, they say all the, all the gold's in Fort Knox. Right. Fort Knox hasn't had a physical audit since, like, the 1960s. <laughs> yeah. That's a fact. Yeah, we have no idea. We have no there. idea yeah. if that gold is there or not. Yeah. And there's a lot to that shit, too, where basically the, the, the U.S. government seized gold from private gold owners. They made it illegal to own gold. 
<laughs> bullion and stuff. So it was seized and bought back for like dimes yeah. from U.S. citizens after they got rid of the gold standard. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. And also, also it's too, interesting because that would have been in the gold room that we see with the party going yeah. on. That's 1921. Yep, exactly. That would have been gold standard time. Yeah. Exactly, because yeah. that happened under Woodrow Wilson, yeah. I believe, was when we ditched the gold standard. So around that time, yeah, twenty something. And most of the photographs and stuff of people hanging up are of people that were prominent politicians and bankers during Woodrow Wilson's time. <laughs> also, dig this. Yeah, it, it, it's nuts. Yeah, it's nuts, dude. But okay, so the scrapbook. Yeah, Let's talk about the scrapbook. So in the book. Jack comes across this scrapbook that somebody has made that is detailing all of the history of the hotel. Uh-huh. And it's all about people who have stayed there, how it's changed owners a hundred times. It's full of just receipts and stuff like this. He becomes obsessed with it because he wants to learn everything that he can about the Overlook. hmm Now, in the movie, and it's really funny, I hadn't even noticed the scrapbook yeah, it's there. Though. It's totally there. Well, it's on his writing desk as he's typing. Yeah, he's stuff. got it open up. Yeah. That, apparently they filmed scenes with Jack in the scrapbook. Okay. That were destroyed deliberately right. later so nobody could find them and use them or whatever. Uh-huh. But you do see the scrapbook. Yeah. That scrapbook itself exists in the Kubrick archives. Oh, shit. What's the in it? The actual prop is there. It is mainly clippings of news articles about World Wars One and Two. Uh-huh. Leading up to the the U.S. getting rid of the gold standard uh-huh. and the Wilson era presidency. That's most all of what's in the scrapbook. Holy shit. Yeah. And there's no way to notice that shit in the movie. There's absolutely no way. Okay. But so that's what's there. Let's just talk about just while we're on the scrapbook. Yeah. Hey, we'll get back to the theories. Sure. Let's get into one of my theories. I, I think that... When Wendy finds the all work and no play, make Jack a dull boy yeah, yeah, yeah. stack of paper, that's not what he's been writing. Okay. Yeah. It may be what he's been writing recently, or it may be something else. I'll get into something else in a second. But he's typing and looking in that scrapbook like he's actually writing something. I think there is he is writing a book at first. Yeah. He's got some drive. This is early in the movie. This is maybe before the house has really got its hooks into yeah. him. But he's writing something. It's possible, I think, that the stack that she sees that says all work and no play makes Jack old boy, that's a delusion she's having. It's like the hotel is making her see the that. The hotel is making her see that to make her see that he something's wrong with him. Oh, okay. But, Again, trying to trap the Minotaur and right. get the good people out. Yes, exactly. Cool. Because each one of those pages is formatted differently. Yeah, it's like an E. e. Cummings poem. Yeah, e. each know? each one of them could easily... Like, if you were being deluded to see just the same sentence over mm-hmm. and over, it would seem that you would just see it in the same format over and over. Right. But this is formatted completely different. And as you get into it, formatted more like a novel. Yeah. So it's almost like she's flipping through it. And like when he comes over to it, like we saw what she saw. Yeah. So we think that his reaction is that she's found out he's not writing anything. Uh Uh-huh. But his reaction seems more measured than that. Yeah. Like he comes over like, like what you read and sort of flips through it and stuff like, like he doesn't 
get why she's reacting the way she's reacting immediately. Right. Yeah. He doesn't seem to get that. He's mad at her because she came into his room where she wasn't supposed to come or whatever. Yeah. But I, I don't know that he's just been writing all work and no play make Jack a dull boy. I think he's been writing something else and the house is maybe trying to save her or maybe that's what he's just been writing recently. But he was working out of that scrapbook and typing something else. That's pretty dope. Yeah. And you know, it's crazy too that like some poor intern had to type all that shit out. Yeah. All those fucking Every faces. single one of them. But you know, the positive was apparently they could make a bunch of mistakes. Yeah. Because there are a ton of them. Yeah. There's, <laughs> there's a page in there where it says... Two times, all work and no play makes Jack adult boy, which seems strange. That seems like a message almost. Yeah, right? Yeah. It gets even more fucked up, too, because apparently for international versions, they also had to type out that many pages in French yeah. and like Portuguese in and a, Yeah, a different saying for each language that fit kind of the, the saying itself, yeah. I'd like, to, uh, I'd like to raise a toast to the poor bastards that had to do all that stuff. Let's have ourselves another another brewski from the collection of the Notorious RDM. This is a platform beer company. Caramelicious. Caramelicious recognition. <laughs> Salted caramel and chocolate. Good Lord, this sounds like a dang yeah, this sounds dessert. Awesome. I'm excited. Yeah, I am too, man. This is straight out of Ohio. Ohio, you don't say. Yeah. So it is. It's a the land of cleave. Seven point one percenter. So this thing is heavy duty Judy. Again, that, <laughs> that, looks, like, that looks like about a twenty W yeah, thirty this you is got real over dark. there. Pretty dork. We're dealing with dark subject matters. We need dark beer. Even the foam on that is like the color of like khaki. <laughs> it is. It actually, it's almost the the peanut butter in the middle of a Reese's peanut butter. Yeah, cup. it's about that color, yeah. man. It's about man, that's that color. Dope. Khaki foam sounds like maybe like a Beyonce album or something. Yeah. I don't know why. What's yeah, that smell I like? I can see that. Khaki foam. Oh, man. That smells fantastic. Wow. You can smell the caramel and stuff for sure. Yeah. That's exactly as advertised on the can. Yeah. Works as advertised. Let's see here. What do you think about that? How's that treat you? Jesus Christ. Is it fucking awesome? It'll cure what this ails you? This will cure everything that ails you. Good lord. If the one thing that ails you is you don't like beer, this might fix it. That tastes like everything. It tastes so good. It definitely tastes like chocolate Salted and caramel. caramel. Chocolate, yeah. I'm not getting the saltiness quite yet. Mm. Oh man, that is rich Ooh, mommy. and smooth and creamy. Oh, dude. That's amazing. Man, Roger, you are the fucking yeah. man. Thank you so much for hooking us and up with so many Cleveland, exotic great beers. Masthead Brewing and Platform Beer Co. Y'all know, know what the hell is up. Yeah, that's fantastic. Also, over 7%, you can't taste anything. No, you can't taste alcohol at all. It really does Not taste, at like, all, man. taste like a liquid, chocolatey caramel. Yeah, that's Jesus juice right there. Oh, yeah. Damn, that is good. <laughs> Okay, so there's also one more thing I want to talk about from Room 237. Okay. One guy says it's all about sex. Again, we, we mentioned the the kind of pedophilia angle earlier. And then, of course, there's also drawing from the fact that earlier in the lobby, Jack is reading a Playgirl magazine, which yes. happens to feature an article about incest. Incest. Well, why do parents sleep with their children? Yeah. The yeah. fact that he's in a hotel lobby reading a Playgirl Seems very strange. Also, I, I could just see Jack Nicholson being like, "That's gonna be a funny joke right. on camera." Like, I maybe think, there's nothing to it. I, I think don't know. This actually, I 
I took less meaning from this than I think people are taking from a modern perspective because yeah. what what we know as a joke from growing up, I just read it for the articles. It was yeah, yeah. actually like a real thing. Like yeah. like major authors wrote articles for Playboy and Playgirl. Yeah. That were like really well written and stuff. Well right? written, yeah. good articles. Like I can see a writer looking through Playgirl magazine because maybe he has something in it. Maybe he has a friend who has something. There's in that. It. Yeah. Yeah. And it just happens to be one that says something about incest. But I don't think it just happened to be one. Yeah. I do think that there's something there that, you know, the the whole bear thing you were saying. Like, I think yeah. there is like an intense sort of weird connection between the father and son that like he... I don't think that it just was a separated shoulder. Because if, yeah, yeah. if it was that long ago for Danny, he probably doesn't remember it. In the book, he broke his arm. Okay, well, that's a bit more... Because, yeah. like, separating a shoulder on a kid... Like, honestly... You play shoulder joint, no problem. Yeah, little you know? kids, you, you do have to be very careful sure. with children. Um, But, yeah, breaking an arm, that's a bit more <laughs> violent. Yeah. I've heard some people say that they think that, that Jack Torrance is gay, but it's like he clearly goes after the the woman. Yeah, no, he's way into that yeah, in, way a, into in a weird, creepy way. Yeah, I don't think yeah. that I don't think that he's gay. Yeah, I don't think so. I I think may, if that does mean anything, it would indicate perhaps that he's molesting Danny, which yeah. may be there. But I mean, again. It, like, it could just be, I'm a writer, I'm reading this because I want to submit something to Playgirl to get it in there. Yeah. Well, plus the whole thing that people point out a lot is that, you know, whenever Danny comes down and his, his sweater is ripped and he's got the bruise marks around his yeah. neck where he's been choked and stuff like that, yeah. that was the result of, of Jack, like, you know, molesting him and stuff uh-huh. like this. I don't know. Don't you think he'd be a little bit more subtle than that? Yeah, I would think so. I, I mean, think, I would I would think when you're trapped in a hotel with just a kid and your wife. Yeah. I would think if you were doing something that nefarious, you would hide your tracks a little better. I would think so. Maybe that's fucked up for me to say that. I don't know. But that just seems like a reach to me. Especially too when like that same dude was talking about like, oh, in this scene, you see Stuart Ullman standing in front of his desk and it looks like a, he's got a penis sticking out because there's yeah. this file folder in front of him. It's like, come on, That dude. doesn't seem deliberate at all. That just seems... <laughs> coincidence yeah that's stuff yeah. sitting on a desk dude. yeah there's files on a desk right don't worry about it mm-hmm. do you notice though in Stuart Ullman's like pen holder there's a little tiny axe I didn't yeah what there's a little tiny axe in there fucking shit dude, I'm serious like every time I fucking watch this movie there's something new okay so it, what one person does mention that happens in that scene yeah. that I had never noticed is uh Bill the third guy in the room during the interview. Yeah, the the kind of creepy guy. Yeah, who says nothing. No. Ever, really. I've seen him in other movies and he's creepy in other stuff. So yeah. I just think of him as creepy guy. But they do keep doing deliberate shots of him. Yeah, Like definitely. sort of responding to things, but not really responding. Like just, No. Like, it seems like he knows more. It seems that way. Yeah. Yeah, it does like seem that he's, way. He has a pretty good knowledge of the hotel that Ullman doesn't have. And that maybe he's a little worried for this new guy. I've seen some people point out that there's apparent significance that none of them are wearing wedding rings in that scene either. Oh, and there's yeah. there's a lot of shots of their hands, especially mm-hmm. Almond. There's a lot of shots of his hands being kind of crossed. But no over. wedding ring. And neither is Jack, and he's married. Yeah. yeah, I don't wear a wedding ring. I'm married. I do. 
I, I would. I, I'm a right I have, hand, though. This is How the, come you don't? Yeah, you don't, do you? I don't. I never. I haven't for years. I have a very tiny clot here. Um, yeah? And if I wear a ring, it swells up and hurts very painfully. No shit. And there's a very expensive surgery you can get to fix it, or you can not wear a ring. Oh, I would not wear the ring yeah. instead. So I just stopped wearing a ring. Tight. Yeah. Maybe it they've also, all got that. You know, keeps the ladies away from you. Oh, when you look idea. like when you look this sexy, if you're wearing a wedding ring, they're like, oh, you could tie them down too. Damn. <laughs> so if not wearing a wedding ring. They're like, oh, it's, he must. Something's wrong with him. Yeah. Ain't uh, nobody picked obvious. that. He looks that good. And ain't nobody picked him yeah. up. <laughs> Damaged goods. <laughs> don't catch a falling knife, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they don't wear wedding rings. I could see how that. I mean, that's an indication of a number of things, perhaps. Like, Maybe. Especially in those days, like it was very rare that a husband wouldn't wear a wedding ring. For sure. Yeah. If you took it off, like it was one of those, like, oh, he's trying to cheat on his wife. Yeah, pick up guys. Or pick up guys. There Might you go. That. Yeah. So, myself, I think that after the many, many, many times that I've watched this movie from all different angles and all the research and stuff that I've done about this. You mean like one side of the room? Like yeah. Standing. Slightly to the right. I did a headstand one time. How was that angle? It was it was intense. <laughs> it was really intense. Did the whole thing downwards facing dog the other day. Oh damn! It's pretty nice, pretty relaxing. Okay. So, I think the biggest conclusion that I've come to is that I don't think God that beer is amazing, isn't mm-hmm. it? It's just fucking fantastic. It really is. I don't think that this is about any one thing. I don't think that it is about specifically just no. the Native Americans. I don't think it's specifically just about the moon landing. No. I think, and this again correlates with what you were talking about earlier about Kubrick fixating on one thing from a story and saying, oh, it's about this. Yeah. Fuck the rest of the book. Yeah. There is a line in the book where as Ullman is taking the family around and showing him all the different rooms of the hotel and saying, you know, oh, this president stayed in this room and this movie star stayed in this room, yada, yada. I have something to say about this when you're done. Go ahead. There's a line in there where Jack says to himself that every room in this hotel is like a page in the history book of America. Okay. Yeah. I think that this movie is essentially a history of America. Okay. And I think that it is built on the foundation of overlooking the the origins of this nation and okay. the horrible things that, that we have done to make it what right. it is. And how if you really took a cold hard look in the mirror mm, mirrors. Exactly. Yeah. It would drive you mad. Which yeah. is exactly what if you guys don't know, pretty much every time somebody sees a ghost or talks to Tony or uh-huh. talks to Lloyd or talks to Delbert, they're looking into a mirror. Yeah, mirrors are so uh, like prevalent throughout the movie, including yeah. mirroring um, uh, like persons. Yeah, Delbert's like on the, the left, twins. Jack's on the right. Delbert, then the camera changes. Yeah. Jack's on the left, Delbert's on the yeah, right. They'll yeah, they'll do that. All the and, time. And the, the movie some, starts with reflections on the water. Yes, it does. Yeah. It starts with the reflect. Yeah, we begin with the shot yeah. coming from the reflection up yeah. to the mountains. It's like reflect yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that kind of is a message throughout the movie. It really is. It's uh, like... I have numerous examples I want to read to you. Okay. I, I just wanted to mention get, the room 237. Uh, well, this wasn't what I was going to say about that other thing. Actually, I'll say that then go back to what I was going to say. Cool. While he's talking about all the people that have stayed there, yeah. she says presidents, and he said all the best, best people. people. What is he, Trump? 
Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> I got all the best people. I know it. You know it. Everybody uh, knows it. Yeah. Um, what was, was going to say is in room 237, they talk, uh, one of the guys talks about uh, getting an opportunity to project the movie playing forward and backward simultaneously. Yes. And it really is insane how many shots mirror each other from the back to the front. Right. So like Kubrick was thinking of this these mirroring things not only in the shots and with Man. the characters and with the shots, but with the entire movie. I can't help but think that that is a stretch, though. With the it whole front, seems with the backwards. That way. Dude, you've edited video. You've edited yeah, like fucking 15 minutes. That would minute be impossible, it seems. It'd be impossible. Yeah. But when you're talking about cutting things exactly to the right length yeah. to where the scene ends where it's supposed yeah. to end and stuff, so I, that the whole thing rewinds and fast forwards at the exact same rate and shit. I think no it way. would be a, a stretch to say it all does, but I think some of it lines up. Like, yeah. I think you could do that more easily where you're like, okay, I want this to happen around here at the end do the math real do quick. do the math make yeah. sure that works but yeah a lot of it doesn't line up but yeah. some of it did very much line up and it's like oh okay well that i can see why he would do that yeah. if he did do that right yeah so essentially i think that with a lot of the themes that we've already talked about that seem to be very embedded in american history uh-huh. i think that 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 the Overlook Hotel itself kind of represents all of American history, you know? Yeah. And all, again, the horrible things that we've done to get here and all the things that we have forgotten and overlooked. Again, it's the Overlook Hotel. Uh-huh. It's right there in the name. And, okay, for example, how about Let's this? Hear. All right. I'm going to read you my list. I compiled right here. Gotcha. So, obviously, there's the Native Art and Clothes that yes. are featured throughout the movie. There's a heavy Native American theme, soundtrack uh-huh. too. All the mention of the Donner Party. Yes. All the mention of the jet set and the best people and all that stuff. Uh-huh. There's a strong prohibition theme throughout the movie as well, yeah. where there is no booze allowed. Yeah, no booze insurance or whatever they say. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. So there's this very strong don't drink principle. Also, mm-hmm. the fact that Jack is dry and yeah. doesn't drink. And Wendy says, we don't. Or no, Jack says, we're in luck. We don't drink. Yeah. There's a very strong prohibition aspect. Plus the fact that, you know, this movie... Is taking place in what seventy eight seventy nine? I would assume seventy nine. Why do all the flashbacks and ghosts and stuff like this seem to happen during Prohibition era? Like, no, it's true. It doesn't yeah. flash back to the sixties. It doesn't flash back to the tens. It no. doesn't flash back to the forties. It's all that nineteen twenties Prohibition era shit. Yeah, very specifically. So I think okay. that that's very deliberate. I think so. Yeah. Again, the genocide themes that we talked about. Mm-hmm. I think that. Even the use of of getting uh, Scatman Crothers to play Dick Halloran, okay, and the way that he is the cook, he is the servant, right, and he even gets free and travels back to his African home, oh, down in Miami, which is so strongly African, as we yes. mentioned earlier, yeah, and then the white man summons him back up to work and die for them. That is yeah. extremely, extremely, okay. extremely strong sentiment about the roles of blacks in American history. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Let's see. Yeah, the look in the mirror, you'll go mad thing. Ancient Indian burial ground. Yeah, the gold room stuff we talked about. The Apollo Eleven sweater uh-huh. and all that stuff. That's just a part of American history. Yeah. I don't think that that's there to be like we faked it. I think it's just Apollo Eleven right. is a part of American history. That's why we wore that. Obviously, the Fourth of July. Uh huh. 
uh, date that's mentioned at the very end of the movie, the scrapbook being filled with stuff about American history, the banks, all that kind of jazz. Mm-hmm. The fact that it seems to me that all the ghosts are English, which really the ghost of America is, is England. That is true. That's where we came from. Delbert Grady that is, is English. Weird. The twins sound English. Yeah, and the nice guy, party, isn't it? Yeah. English. All the ghosts are fucking English. They are. The ghosts of America is England. That is true. So I think that that's showing us where we where we came from. Yeah. How about this? So as Jack is going through the gold room, mm-hmm. and there's the big party and stuff happening, the song that's playing in the background. Okay. It kind of sounds like Midnight in the Stars and You, just the, the song you right. think about when you Similar. think about that old-timey 20s stuff. I can't remember who does the song, but the name of the song is It's All Forgotten Now. Oh. Tell me that's not deliberate. Yeah. Because as Americans, we do just act like it's all forgotten now. We yeah. act we act like we didn't Every fucking... Every successive generation thinks, oh, that was ages ago. Yeah. And, and we act like we're the indigenous people here. We act like we didn't destroy... Right. Absolutely eradicate... Yeah. ...an entire race of people that were here long before us. Yeah. And that we didn't mistreat... Uh, blacks and women and everything right. else. And that we're not still doing it. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, because that's over. <clears throat> yeah, that, totally That's just so, how right? we work. Like, oh, yeah, that's... Yeah, oh, we can admit things happen. Yeah. But that's in the past. Exactly right. It yeah. can't be happening now. No. Because that was in the past. Yeah, we already saw that was, problem. If it was happening now, we'd be in the past. Yeah. Can't be. Can't be. So I think, in essence, that this movie is kind of a microcosm of all of American history. I think that there's so many things in there that reference it. Again, even the Holocaust stuff, you could say is a reference to World War II. That's true. Which is, again, part of American history. Well, and it would be a reference to our inaction. Yeah. The Holocaust would be a reference specific. Like, that's why when we focus on teaching World War II history here, we don't focus so much on the Holocaust. We focus on Japan because if we focus on the Holocaust, it's like, well, why did we take so long? Yeah. We did. Yeah. And we would have never joined in. Yeah, while well, we were shuffling we our feet. Yeah. Fucking tons of Jews and gypsies and everybody else were dying. Yeah. Yeah. Millions. Yeah. And millions of Russians. That too. Yeah. That too. <laughs> fucking terrible. Does that seem outlandish? No, that seems pretty fucking on point, I think. Like, I, I can see Kubrick thinking along that line and yeah. seeing this as that. Well, and also, too, like, if you start looking at even a lot of the set dressing and really looking at how many American flags there are all over this movie, Ullman's desk has a little tiny American flag. Okay. In it. There's American flags everywhere. Huh. Wendy and Danny wear red, white, and blue constantly throughout the movie. I can remember Danny wearing it a lot. I never thought about her wearing it. Wendy does, too. Like, yeah. whenever the doctor comes and visits, uh-huh. she's, she's wearing, wearing red, red, white, and blue. blue yeah. She's constantly wearing that or Native American stuff throughout a lot That's of the interesting. movie. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. There's also stuff. There's lots of eagles everywhere, which uh-huh. is of course symbol of America. There's tons of. There's like a bronze eagle on the windowsill in Almond's room. Yeah. The typewriter that Jack uses is an Adler. Adler is German for eagle. Uh huh. Okay. Why does the typewriter change? That's yeah. We were talking about this before. I don't know. Like it changes color. It's like it it's does. Black it goes from gray white. or something like yeah, dark yeah. gray to white. Yeah. Just out of nowhere. Yeah, that's a strange one. Like, there's so many of those strange little things. Like, some of it, it's like, well, it's probably just a set dressing issue. Not a big deal. But, like... Dude, for sure. Because they filmed this movie over the course of, like, two years. Like, I mean... It seems impossible to me that Kubrick would be like, well, let's get a backup typewriter just in case. 
But don't worry if it's the same color or anything. Yeah, don't worry about that. Yeah, that does seem more... Like, that. that is where... The, that sort of thing is where I think you can easily fall into the ditch with this movie of, like, focusing on every little thing that it's sure. probable that he was deliberate about. Yeah. But it's also possible that, like... Because I think we see it first as gray, and then we see it later as white. Yeah, I think so. And it's a German typewriter. Mm-hmm. And it it's, it's like the way that Germany was able to come through the Holocaust mm-hmm. completely clean, basically. Right. Like, well, we got rid of the Nazis, so we're fine. But well, it's like, and we all it, of you were a part of this. Yeah. Well, and then you could even say that it's like we employed former Nazi scientists and stuff like that to yeah. build Disney World. Yeah, we whitewashed <laughs> them. Yeah. We, yeah. T- we took them from being dirty and made, made them clean. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe there's something to that as well. Yeah. So, the yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying is that doesn't seem to me to be just a oops. Like, there, there's one thing they point out in Room 237 where there's, like, in one shot, there's a chair somewhere. And oh, yeah. The behind, next shot, it's not there. Jack it's like, as he's typing. That's probably just a mistake. Yeah, exactly. Probably. It might mean something, but yeah, I can see the typewriter changing colors being very important. A lot of other yeah. things like that, just small things being very important, but I don't know. I mean, unless they all play into this idea that you have or... I don't know. Like, it, it does seem like... It seems like a reader's paradise. Yeah. The Shining as a movie. It's like uh, someone who loves reading a book and going back to it a million times and getting something new got to make a movie. That's exactly and, what it and is. And he was yeah. like, I want people to just be able to come back to this over and over and see a new idea and a new thought. Yeah. And so I'll do a million different takes to try to get that exact moment where it's ambiguous enough yeah. that everything can kind of be thrown onto it. Right. And just, like I said, the amount of tiny details, the amount of yeah. t- teeny tiny insignificant details that are just everywhere. It's absolutely insane. Yeah. It's insane, man. I agree. So that's the fun thing about this is like, you can really watch this and enjoy it from from any of those perspectives. You can see into it and see a little bit of truth of all of them. Uh, but, you know, again, the biggest conclusion I've come to is it's it's kind of about all of it. It is about the gold standard. Yeah, it's it, about it all is of about it. natives. It is about blacks. It is about the Holocaust. It's I think about it's just all it's about America. It. It's all there. It's all very easily like you can find something in the movie to back up those theories. Yeah. Where a lot of other theories maybe don't work as fully. Yeah, definitely so. Such a fun one to Such watch. Such a great man. movie. Such I'm, a fun fucking movie to watch, dude. I want to ask you one thing about the ending of the movie. Let's do that. Because that's one of the big, like, controversial... You know, the, the camera zooms in on that long shot, uh-huh. and you see Jack Nicholson in the in photograph. In 1921 in the yeah, past. Yeah. July 4th, 1921. Uh-huh. What do you think about that? It's hotly up for debate. Well, I mean, one thought I have on it is that maybe... That July 4th, 1921 party is the hell that this labyrinth houses these monsters in. Yeah. They can't escape from it because it's constantly providing them with the things that they want, so they never want to escape from it. Well, I was noticing this time around that while Wendy is running around and she's seeing all the skeletons and stuff, Yeah, they're all surrounded... Well, for one, they're wearing like 1920s stuff. Yeah. And they're all surrounded by like champagne and streamers and balloons uh-huh. and stuff like this. And as cobwebs. Though, 
Yeah, yeah. Majorly huge cobwebs, which Gigantic. would indicate they'd been there dead for a long time. Quite some time. Yeah. But yeah, it looks like they there was some sort of some sort of terrible incident during a party. Yeah. It would appear anyway. Like a gas leak or something. But that one guy, like the great party, isn't it? He's, he's got fine. like a, he's like got something wrong with he's like somebody hit him in the head or something. Yeah. Yeah, he's got like blood trickling down his head. Yeah. Which might be there to mimic the wound that she gave Jack when she hit him on the head with the bat. He had Maybe. blood coming down his head. Maybe. I don't know. I just don't know who the fuck that guy is. Yeah, I don't know what was up with that party. Did yeah. they all die? Did they... Like, it was July 4th, so it's not like they got snowed in. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't the, know. It, it's very possible that the house uses a time loop to sort of keep all these things contained because yeah. Grady is now working as a servant mm -hmm. in this 1921 party. Yeah. Like, it's possible that everyone there... That party never happened. That mm. everyone there is someone that the house has trapped and okay, put cool. into this party to keep them from questioning why they're there. That's pretty dope. But, you know, the thing that I was thinking about is if that photograph that we see is an actual photograph that was taken in 1921, right. July 4th, at the, at the Overlook, Jack Torrance is there at the forefront of the picture. Mm -hmm. He's not the caretaker. Nope. He's like a guest of honor. You would think maybe, yeah. He, but he's wearing something that looks like a tuxedo. Like, yeah. yeah. I don't know. You know, one of the theories there is that he resembles the Baphomet. He's so as above, so below. Yeah. yeah. Which there's a lot of people that look into a lot of hidden satanic imagery. Yeah. In Kubrick's movies, I've not looked into that enough to know. Yeah, but I, I don't know. Like, it's possible that yeah, I that's suppose, yeah. that's just an indication, like that. Okay, here's a possibility. Delbert Grady tells him that he's the caretaker here, but we know Grady also was a caretaker there. Mm -hmm. So is it possible that something infests them? That mm. is the caretaker of the house. Well, okay. And so yeah. Grady is seeing it in him and saying, no, you are, you've always been the caretaker. Yeah. Because yeah. you're not Jack. You're the thing inside of Jack. Okay. Yeah. And the picture just conveys that face because. That's the face it's most recently taken on. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could also look at it as this sort of generational enslavement that systems like the banking system right. and stuff like that impose yeah. on us, where may maybe even the fact that he is at the forefront of that photo, it's like you were invited into this thing as the guest of honor for this prestigious party. Yeah. And now, generations and generations later, now you're just enslaved by these elite bankers and the yeah. best people that have set up all these things like that the, is definitely a part of this because when it shows the yeah. room they're staying in like yeah. first off that's bigger than the apartment i had in hollywood <laughs> but <laughs> it's sure. also like in 1980 for a family looking at that is probably pretty depressing like oh this yeah. is very small yeah this is not big but they sell it like it's very homey yeah perfect for a child very yeah cozy and that's yeah, and, and Jack keeps repeating him, basically just like yeah, yeah perfect for a child, cozy. Yeah. Meanwhile, like, we own this whole giant Grandouille yeah. hotel. You could we this could all literally you give you a suite here, yeah. and yeah. it wouldn't be any different. Yeah, but this is what we're giving you, and you're gonna like it because you're kind of enslaved by us. Yeah, yeah, which again yeah. fits into and, the whole American thing. Yeah, and he does keep saying that you know if if he leaves the hotel, that would be 
ruinous to him. Well, because he's so and devoted to this contract he's entered into. But think about this job. Like, like they're talking to him about like meeting the requirements of the job, and it's like, yeah. what are the requirements of sitting in a hotel for six months? Well, how about this? Who the fuck are the others that Grady talks about? <laughs> Who in the fuck is that? It's possible, and I'm not. I'm not positive because I haven't really thought this out, but it is yeah. possible that Bill and Ullman are like the they're greeting them into hell. Yeah, like yeah. no one that they oh, see like lost. This is like lost. It's like lost. They, <laughs> but no one that they see at the hotel is a person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. This is the the hotel. The the spirit that is the hotel has sought out a new caretaker. Yeah, brought him in and used different people who've been caught here to sort of give him the impression that it's a real job that's cool man but i don't know i'll say this too you know one of the things that makes this movie so goddamn scary to me is is, is that soundtrack the, it's the soundtrack. perfect man if you recut this movie with a different soundtrack it would be a different movie completely different yeah and all the original soundtrack stuff was done by wendy carlos okay who has done a, a ton of other stuff, even just in the recorded music world. Apparently, Wendy Carlos scored, like, the entire movie. Uh-huh. Wrote original music for the whole thing. Okay. And then Kubrick came in and was like, hey, I have all this music. Yeah. Very little of, of Wendy's music was actually used in the movie. Yeah. But the stuff that's in there it's is great. tight as fuck, and <laughs> it's so scary. Like, from the minute the movie starts... And it's playing, it, it's a Bach piece, but it's played on synthesizer uh-huh. on a tone wheel organ. That's what that is. Oh, okay. It is just so ominous and sets up this feeling of dread. And you've got all those weird, like, again, like native sounding, like uh-huh. uh, tongue the, trills and uh-huh. screeches and, like, and, stuff. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. It is just, it is just haunting. Yeah. And the way so many parts in the movie, like the soundtrack, the orchestral stuff will be building up. And building and building and building, and then it'll cut to one of those title cards where it says like Tuesday, and there's just like a little like crash symbol it, uh-huh. and it just ends, and it's like, wait, what the fuck happened? <laughs> it just absolutely torments you the way that stuff yeah. works, man. And of course, we we can't not mention the steady cam work from oh uh, yeah, what's his name, Garrett? Yeah, uh, Garrett Brown, I think. I think that's his name. The guy who fucking invented the steady cam. Yeah, this was one of the first half dozen movies that uses steady cam. Um, it's and an integral was, part of the movie. This was integral. the first, really, where they got to experiment with it a lot. Instead of just using it to shoot some sort of action scenes or stair shots, yeah, they used it for everything. Yeah. Like, they used it, you know, to follow Danny and stuff when he's on his tricycle. Oh, and dude, those, those scenes yeah. where he's riding, and it's like he's riding on the carpet, and it's quiet, then he's and on then the wood. loud, then quiet, then it's, loud. To yeah. me, you know, like, and, and again, this is probably me fucking reaching right here. It sounds like an executioner's, like, drum roll. Like, oh. it was like... That's what it, like, sounds like to me. You know what I mean? That's probably me imagining way too much, but... It's just so cool. And you got the steady cam just tracking it so smooth behind it. Yeah. So, yeah, he got to experiment a lot with his own invention and come up with a ton of new ways to use it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, when you you look into all the people that worked with Stanley Kubrick, what you'll find is the technical people, the camera people, the sound people, etc. Yeah. Those are the people that will tell you Stanley respects them. Right. Those are the people that tell you Stanley Kubrick is an uh, amazingly wonderful human being to people. Yeah. Because he respects people who have skills. Right. 
And so he lets Garrett Brown come in and just do it. Show me cool things you can do with your, your hang that dick out camera. Garrett. And then uh, 126 takes later, he's like, "Let's do it again, <laughs> Shelley." Like, and that's the one. Yeah, Steve, let me talk to you for a second here about imaginary friends. Please, are we going to talk about Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends? That was a great show. I saw, heard. Uh-huh. <laughs> Why is it so much more charming and innocent when children? Uh-huh. Have invisible friends. Sure. Like how Danny has Tony. Versus whenever Jack has imaginary friends where he's talking to Lloyd, the satanic bartender, by himself. Right. Jack and Danny both have imaginary friends in this movie. They do? Now, here's something fucking awesome about Tony. Okay. And this is one of those things that you know if you've read the book. And I don't know how much this plays into the movie at all. Probably not at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, considering the the treatment of the rest of the stuff from the book. Do you know why he's called Tony? No. Okay, so Danny's full name is Danny Anthony Torrance. Oh. The notion is, is that Tony, his imaginary friend... Is just Danny? It's himself from the future shining back in the past warning him about stuff. Okay. That would make more sense, honestly, because... That brings in the temporal elements exactly. that need to be yep. there for Cause, sure. Because it's clear that time has no bearing on yeah. what it means to shine. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like he said, where you know, it's like walking into a room where somebody's burnt toast. Yes, even these it leaves a long time an impression. Ago. It leaves something behind. So in that case, can something from the future reach back to the past? Why not? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a cool fucking. That's a real cool about. idea. Yeah. Yeah. So when you watch it again, think about it as he's sending himself messages from the future. Pretty dope. That is. I like that a lot. I know, right? Uh-huh. All right, Steve. Your final thoughts about this final fucking masterpiece. Thoughts. Unless you have any, anything more you'd no, like to add. No, I, I, I'm at my Jerry Springer's final thoughts. <laughs> where I speak. You are not the father. Yeah. Well, no, remember, his, did you ever see his final thoughts were always like, it was just like, you know, uh, a, a mom just beat up her kid for having sex with her stepdad. <laughs> and then he'd be like, what we need to realize is that human yeah. kind is... <laughs> Everybody needs love. Yeah. Whatever. The heart wants what it wants. It does. It, the heart wants what it wants. <laughs> um, so anyway, my final thoughts on this is that, like, I don't think there's any more to say than I've already said, or we've yeah. already said. Like, there's everything more to say, but... Yeah. You just got to explore it on your own. You got to go out there and read all this other yeah. stuff. I'll have more to say next time I watch it. Yeah. Which will be this year. Sure. I continuously watch this movie and find more and more stuff. There's no definitive answer. That is, for some people, extremely frustrating. And for others of us, extremely exhilarating. Because it's like, oh, okay, so I get to make part of this. And that's what Kubrick tapped into that I think is great that we all have to learn to tap into if you're creating something yeah. is to make people feel like they're a part of it. And what an interesting line to toe that is because there's plenty of movies that we've watched where we've been like, yeah, this makes no sense. Uh-huh. And you just go, it's incompetent. Yeah, that's frustrating. Yeah. It's not good. <laughs> but then, which which is interesting too considering we're talking about Kubrick's, you know, sky-high IQ and how it's hard for him to relate to people and stuff, I'm sure, there's a certain amount of respect he gives the audience by saying, I'm not going to explain everything here to you. Make your own assumptions about what's going on. Yeah. It's really interesting how you can see how there are filmmakers that make a movie that makes no sense and it's shit. 
and filmmakers that make a movie that doesn't spell everything out and you're like, oh yeah, this is fucking awesome. Yeah. It is a fine, fine line. Yeah. You know? I think what it is is a lot of people think that the the cliffhang or the the moment where the reveal happens is the yeah. moment where we're supposed to suddenly go, oh, now I get all those other things that happened up to this point. Yeah. But what Kubrick gets is that every moment has to be filled to the brim with ambiguity. Absolutely. Yeah. You this can't this full, tell yeah. people what they need to be thinking, and you can't come to a moment where everybody goes, Oh, now I get it. He was dead you, the whole time. Right, because yeah. if you get to that moment, you failed them. Right. If you get to that moment where now it all makes sense, then all the ambiguity is, is removed. There's yeah. no rewatchability. Well, you're to telling it. him, don't worry. You don't have to think. I'll spell yeah. everything out for I'll you. I'll spell it out for you. Don't worry. Danny yeah. will come along and say, you know what it was, Mom? I unlocked the fucking I, Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, you just have to really invest in the idea that each and every scene is a slice and moment of life and you can't determine what it means right and so you can't determine what the end means and you have to respect your audience enough to think that yeah they'll think this through they'll put yeah. some thought into it which is again one of those things that i don't see happening if this movie had you know 10 different producers backing it going exactly no 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 stanley you this is this doesn't make no sense uh-huh you gotta, this is you gotta what spell the kids this are, out uh, hashtagging yeah exactly can you throw a hashtag in <laughs> that'll be a real hoot could you have them do the harlem shake somewhere in there i mean why not what, i saw what a jeep pie did it i kind of want that to have happened just like halfway through the movie Harlem Shake drops, yeah, and then they all just fucking everybody shows the party, the 1920s party. Oh yeah, the grinding. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> but you know, it's like I said, it's like only when you're dealing with the director gets to envision and execute this entire thing himself does that, you know, kind of level of respect for the audience happen. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and that, that is, I think, what we're appreciating about the movie is how much respect it has for us. Yeah, definitely. Like, and I think that's the thing that disappointed. Uh, Kubrick the most about it when it wasn't received well was that he had overestimated the audience yeah and that's depressing sure like to think when you have the you know this huge brain and you can think so complex and you finally reach out like I believe people will get it yeah and then the overwhelming responses Boo. Boo, this isn't as good as the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that has to be very disappointing. Yeah, and he didn't make another movie until 86 with Full Metal Jacket, and then didn't make another movie until 99. Yeah. Again, it's, it's the Weezer Pinkerton thing all over yeah. again. Yeah, it's like, let me give you a little slice of something good here. Oh, you hate it? Fuck. Fuck, that Retreat. really sucks. That was like my best stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly right, man. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah, so for me, it's the movie is a 10. Absolutely. And always will be. Yeah. Love going back to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, infinitely watchable. Like I said, I've been obsessed with this ever since I watched it. This mm -hmm. has been... There's kind of just a few things... I'm not going to say a few. There's There's been a, a pretty generous handful of things in my life that I've just become obsessed with. Mm. You know, whether it's been... Guitar. The Gritar. Uh-huh. You know, when I was a kid, it was dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. Video games. Mm -hmm. Vidges comic books uh-huh 
um, and, and so on. I've just I've had a few like cornerstones of obsession yeah. in my life, and the, the Shining is like on the shelf with those things. Yeah, me where too. It's something I've become just extremely fascinated with. Mm. It's kind of like a, a core part of my entire movie watching experience and my entire analytical experience. You know, watching movies. It's uh, I can't overstate how important this movie is yeah. to me. Soundtrack is perfect. Casting is perfect. Cinematography is unbelievable. You could take any frame of this movie and just print it and put it on the wall. Yes. That unbelievable. Is, that's one of my favorite things about Kubrick yeah. is his dedication not only to everything having some sort of meaning, but that each, every shot has perfect. to look perfect. Yeah, it really does. The amount of hidden stuff is just amazing. The sets are phenomenal. The mm. sense of isolation Ugh. and just how teeny tiny and insignificant humans are in the grand scheme of things is something that I think this movie does exceptionally well. Whether it's showing you just how fucking huge these mountains are or how huge these snowdrifts are or this giant hotel just makes the people running around inside look like ants. You yeah. Know? I love that feeling. Like that's yeah. one of those things that a lot of a lot of my favorite horror movies do extremely well is make the humans feel swallowed up by something. Yeah. And this is the OG for that. You know, this is the one that did it the most perfectly of, of anything. Yeah, everybody's trying to duplicate that. Absolutely yeah. so. Yeah. And even a lot of my favorite horror flicks that have come since this are ones that I do think ape a lot of elements yeah. from The Shining, you know? Whether it be Rosemary's Baby or House of the Devil or stuff like that, I think that there's a lot of movies that have been influenced by... Well, Rosemary's Baby was way ahead. Oh, uh, sorry. But House of the Devil, yeah. Hereditary. That's what I meant to yeah, say. Yeah, there you go. That's yeah. what I meant to say. It's Hereditary, yeah. yes. Yeah, I think a lot of these flicks kind of you know, dig from the original uh, gold mine that is this movie. I think The Witch definitely did the same Kubrickian thing of overestimating the audience. Thinking yeah. People will catch up to it. People yeah, exactly. will know... And I mean, there he was at Robert Eggers was right. Like watching it, it's like, yeah, that is that that is perfectly ambiguous. Yeah. Uh, it's I mean, it's less of a huge scope that The Shining has, but it's still perfectly ambiguous, very confined, etc. Um, and how wild is it? That this is like the greatest horror movie of all time, and there is one on-screen death. One. One. I mean, yeah, we two, see two the if twins you, if you count Jack dying. Well, we don't even ice. see him die; we just no. see him dead. Yeah, you see the yeah. body. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. I mean, you see the dead twins, but you don't see him axed up. You don't. You yeah. see blood, but you, they're not chopped up. They're mm -hmm. just bloody. Extremely little violence. Yeah, and yeah. There's a there's a elevator full of blood. There's skeletons. Sure. There's a guy with a head wound. There's axed up twins, but. As far as actual violence on screen, again, like I said, most of it's windy. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, that is true. I, and the violence that they do show is like domestic violence that... Yeah, it's true. It really digs deeper under me than most stuff you would see in a horror movie because yeah. it's like, oh, that's too real. Yeah, right? That's so real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely so. Yeah, infinitely watchable. I'll always, I'll always be a fan of this movie. It'll always be, you know... It, I'm not gonna say it'll always be my favorite. Maybe something, you know, one day maybe will just something blow will come along. But this Doctor is seriously, Sleep. maybe it's that. Yeah, <laughs> I doubt it. But I feel like this is the movie for me that has been like, you know, my uh, my, my first my first heroin smack hit. Where oh it's yeah. Like I've, been, I've been chasing that dragon ever since. 
one yeah. of the first real amazing horror flicks I ever watched. And I've just been waiting to be this freaked out again. Hereditary, mm-hmm. I, again, like I said, Hereditary actually I think scared me more. Okay. But I think The Shining is just a better movie. Yeah. I more so. watchable. You know what I mean? Maybe because it's less fucking traumatic to watch. I don't know. It's a it's a twenty out of ten, dude. Like for real. Yeah, I mean ten out of ten. But if I could rate it higher, I would. This is my yeah. favorite, absolute favorite horror flick of all time. Well, Ben, we've done it. We've done it, dude. We finally covered The Shining. Yeah. Uh. Over three hours. Tight. Um, new record. New record. Actually, I think Home, Home Alone still might be a longer episode. It might be. <laughs> that episode is long. Yeah, the Hereditary episode was long, but we were talking about it the whole time. What were we talking about during Home Alone? That's what I was trying to remember. I was thinking about that the other day. I was like looking through the episodes, and I'm like, man, Home Alone is long. I was like... What the fuck did we talk about that whole time? I think there was a lot of bullshitting. Cause oh, for sure. I know that I kind of went in being like, you know what? People are lonely during, have fun, during yeah. Christmas. I want them to have some company yeah. for a while. So, yeah. Well, next week maybe you'll have some fun. I know I will. With a little Clive Barker inspired yes, movie. Yes, yes, Candyman. Yes. Candyman. The Candyman. Candyman. Can. No, no, no. Not three times. Oh, too many is that too many yes that's you've gone too far i've gone too far Candyman oh, no. is the shit i actually just Tony watched Todd, it for the first Virginia time Madsen. like a year ago oh really yeah oh dude i'm excited to i was do this. into it um we're covering Candyman. we wanted to do it last year i'm excited to finally get to do it because this is one of those movies that i think was real unique in the 90s Absolutely. I, i've said this before that like i think movies like in the mouth of madness and stuff there was this burgeoning horror market in the 90s that kind of got killed by Scream. Well, people think about the 90s as being this fucking black hole of horror. Yeah, but that's only after Scream. And I'm not saying Scream's great. We've covered it before. Check it out. We both love it. Absolutely so. But Scream kind of created this clone market and destroyed all the creativity of like Pumpkinhead and these other Clive Barker things that totally. were going on. And Mouth of Madness. Mouth of Madness. Like, yeah. There was I, some good stuff going on. It could on. have been real great. So Candyman, yeah. I'm excited for. Me too, man. Mm. Well, Steve, in the meantime, where can they follow us on social media outlets? At Dead Lovely Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Yep. You can email us at deadandlovelypod at gmail.com. You got mail. Or you can check us out on Facebook. We have a group, Dead and Lovely Horror Group. Join also, the group. we're on Discord. Discord. What's that? You tell me. I'm not on it yet, so I can't tell you, but I, maybe by the time this comes out, maybe I will be. If you want the link to the Discord, I've already posted it on the Facebook group. If yeah. you don't want to go to the Facebook group, just email us. I'll send you the link. Track her down like a bloodhound. Yeah. Uh, I would really appreciate it if you guys would go and rate and review on iTunes. I know that's one of those things that I say so many times that it seems kind of like I'm joking. Yeah, go to I'm it. really not joking. Like, if you're talking about one of the things that you guys can do to help us out a lot other than send us beer, which you can do, email us for details about that. Yep. Writing us a review on iTunes seriously does help us out so much. That is the only way that we start showing up in search engines and stuff more and more often is if we got ourselves a high five-star rating on the iTunes. It just takes a second. Just go to the podcast app, find the show, write a review, keep it G-rated or else they won't post it. Yeah, please do that. It just takes a moment. I would love to see more from you guys. So There you go. Holla at us. Thank you guys so much for listening. It's been so fun. I, I'm glad that I finally got to voice all my opinions and, and insights about my favorite movie ever. It's been a fun episode. And again, just a good crash landing after 
all the insanity that has been yeah. my past, you know, two or three weeks. I'm glad that we could kind of crash land, enjoy some delicious beers, and yeah. have some great chats about this fucking incredible movie, untoppable horror masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Great beers, too. Mm-hmm. So, thank you guys so much for listening. You guys have been an absolute delight, and we have been dead and lovely, and we've been here forever. You're the caretaker here. We work for you. You're all my children now. <laughs> oh, okay. Is that now? Yeah, Freddy's here too. Interesting. It's a weird combo. 